And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be, where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, a very a very important and very special edition of The Other Side of Midnight tonight, because we're going to delve into the increasing Maui mystery. In fact, without uh, much uh, chance of disagreement, I might say the increasing Maui murder mystery, because it's looking more and more from converging independent lines of evidence, and you know how I love evidence, as if what happened in Maui a month ago and the total destruction of Lahaina, a beautiful little town that uh, we visited some years ago, Robert and I, and uh, Kinthea was there much more recently. Kinthea is part of the show tonight because uh, a key eyewitness for what happened before, during, and after the fires is with us tonight who happens to be someone who is a longtime friend of Kinthea's, and I've known her. I've talked to her, you know, a couple, three times. I kind of was able to debrief her like a couple weeks ago, and um, we waited for the appropriate time, as you'll probably hear tonight as she tells her story, to bring her on the air, because whatever happened in Maui, the, the evidence is saying it's not the way it's being reported by most of the mainstream press. Now, that's not to discount mainstream press. It's just to say that there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, and there is a a very strong disinclination to believe the worst in any case. Anyway, we'll get into all of this. We've got about three hours, so we're going to give you a very different perspective than I think you will have seen or heard anywhere else on this really disturbing and tragic and almost incomprehensible destruction that occurred about a month ago in the closest thing that you can probably have on earth to paradise. Before we get to that, however, we do have some news items we need to go through. And for those of you who are new to the show, what you do is you click on uh, the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL, the other side of midnight.com. And then you will get to our homepage where there is a uh, banner which says Space War Over Hawaii, a possible Maui murder mystery. You click on that banner, that will take you to the guest page. And on the guest page, we have arrayed videos, links, websites, images, essays, all kinds of stuff for background. Because, you know, some of it you might want to refer to during the show. A lot of it you probably want to refer to after the show or when you have nothing better to do. And if you're a member of Club 19.5 and you have access to the archive, obviously you can follow along with the audio of the show and use the um, uh, links uh, on this page we call Radio with Pictures to keep track of the various items that we are presenting or discussing during, during the morning. Uh, Under the banner on the guest page, same banner as the main page, Space War Over Hawaii, you will see a line in white that says Fast Links to Items. Click on my name. That will take you to my section of Radio with Pictures. And the news tonight is generally um, pretty dismal, particularly if you're in Morocco. Last night, uh, there was a major 6.8 earthquake 
under the Atlas Mountains, which geologically is, you know, kind of to me really kind of weird. And uh, the closest large city is that uh, very famous city of uh, historic Marrakesh. Marrakesh is incredibly uh, destroyed tonight. There are currently more than 2,000 people who have been killed, and the numbers are going to go up because they're obviously in desperate rescue mode. The king of Morocco has declared three days of a national mourning and emergency. He is directing the armed forces, the uh, Moroccan army, to help with search and rescue. It's generally catastrophic. And, you know, this is happening, of course, on Earth all the time. We live on a very geologically active planet, probably second only to the um, large moon of Jupiter called Io, which is definitely the most tectonically active uh, body in the solar system with Earth kind of coming in second. The reason it's relevant to some of the things we're going to talk about tonight is because earthquakes, if one were to apply the hidden physics, the hyperdimensional physics, which we have been kept from for decade after decade after decade, um, predicting earthquakes, sensing them before they occur, and even an intervention technology that could allay them or would reduce their severity is not science fiction. It's science fact. The problem is it's part of the fact base in a physics we are not supposed to know even exists, which is a transdimensional physics. It's a, high, uh, you know, anti-gravity physics. It's an unlimited pollution-free, free energy physics. It, it's all this, the holy grail of science and technology all rolled into one and for reasons that we have discussed on this show endlessly it has been kept from us deliberately for if not the last hundred years certainly um, the last 70 why do I pick 70 well that's kind of when into this nursery this whatever our reality on the earth is you know to be termed there occurred some incidents that reached extraordinary public attention, i.e. the infamous crash at Roswell, the beginning in the 1940s and 1947 of a spate of ascending UFO sightings, encounters, conversations with beings who claim not to be from Earth. All of that is a backdrop to a physics that these individuals, these people, wherever they are from, and there's more than one group, according to uh, a lot of investigation over the last almost century. Um, we on Earth are being kept from use of this extraordinary tool for the betterment of humankind. And you can ask why. And of course, tonight uh, we'll probably get into a bit of that when we get into the details and the background to what occurred in Maui. But that, of course, in substance is part of other shows we've done and other shows we're going to do in the future. So Morocco tonight is hit with a major earthquake, which has killed at least 2,000, and the numbers are unfortunately going to climb. And if this physics had been made public, you know, a couple, three generations ago, as Tesla and Morgan and that conversation was about to bequeath to humankind back in the 1920s, such things as major earthquake kills more than 2,000 
in Marrakesh would not be a headline that we would be reading tonight. This is one more huge, one more reason whereby we have to make public what is lying for everyone waiting for us on the moon. Because not only did the folks who built all that stuff up there, which the Indian mission has revealed in even new splendor, although, of course, they're not telling us yet, uh, but it is the opening of the door to all of the physics and technology and science of a culture which could literally build structures that could englobe an entire moon, as has been done to our own moon, as you can see from the photographs and all the other evidence we have presented. Again, when we find the libraries, which are probably somewhere near the southern lunar pole, since that's where everybody is going to the moon, uh, everything on Earth will change and it will change for the better because this physics is desperately needed to solve a whole litany of currently apparently insoluble geophysical, environmental, climatological, and plain ordinary electrical needs of Earth, of humankind. That's kind of like a prologue or, or a prelude. Item number two in this uh, litany of news that's important and relevant in a very curious way to what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, the G20, which is the uh, top 20 economies on planet Earth, uh, have all gathered. Uh, most of them have gathered, uh, except for uh, economies like China. In the host country for this fall's G20, which turns out to be India. So Prime Minister Modi is the host of the G20 conference, which is ongoing now in New Delhi. And if you click on item number two and scroll down a bit, there's a really amazing image of the president standing with Prime Minister Modi in front of an ancient ancient Hindu frieze and the Indians put extraordinary care and attention and love into their works of art, which of course in the minds of a lot of folks is simply Indian mythology in the minds of others, including those of us that are, are you know, on the show a lot. And it turns out prime minister Modi himself the extraordinary mythologies of ancient, ancient India are not mythologies at all. They are ancient history. And so that picture, United Number Two, of the president standing with Modi looking at part of that extraordinary ancient history is not without extraordinary relevance to some of the things, again, we're going to be talking about tonight. Item Number Three, this is a month-long or a month-old summation of uh, where the recovery operations are, the number of dead who have been recovered, the number of dead who have not been identified and may never be identified because they were literally incinerated in the extraordinary, awesome fires that swept Lahaina and its immediate vicinity. And again, the mainstream is putting this as a set of wildfires out of control. There is additional evidence which calls that conclusion into serious question. But that item number three will kind of bring you up on recovery work, on um, supporting the refugees who have lost everything. 
more than 2,000 homes and other structures uh, were burned to the ground, except they weren't. If you look at the aerials, and uh, uh, one of our guests tonight, Robert Morningstar, has some very good um, aerials, as does Kinthea, who's going to be with us tonight, in addition to our mystery guest, our anonymous eyewitness, who will recount what it was like to be there the, the you know, day, the afternoon, uh, that the fires really got going and ultimately wound up killing an awful lot of folks and destroying a beautiful, basically was a small town. It was not a, it was not a, you know, big city. It wasn't even a village. It was bigger, kind of in between. The the noteworthy part about Lahaina, and we'll be talking about this when we, uh, you know, get into our discussion, is that it used to be the old capital of the Kingdom of Hawaii, the 19th century kingdom of the Hawaiian Empire, uh, under under uh, you know British uh, oversight, and then there were you know a tremendous amount of history. You might want to look that up on Google and kind of you know uh, steep yourself in it after the show tonight, because again you put all these factors together, and it is my and I'm going to say this carefully tentative conclusion that Mahaina was targeted for some kind of strike by some weaponry currently unknown. It's not lasers, folks. Get over it. It's not lasers. Those are stupid 3D, you know, electromagnetic pectrics. The technology that appears to have attacked Lahaina on the 8th of August, you know, literally a month ago tonight, well, last night, appears to have been of the same caliber and uh, uh, technology as that which attacked the World Trade Towers and left acres of burning cars with bits of paper by their wheels totally untouched by flames. Lasers do not do that. Lasers are very indiscriminate. You aim a high-powered laser at a piece of paper, it will flash into oblivion in, in milliseconds. So how do you wind up with flammable materials next to structures and vehicles that have obviously been incinerated and the flammable materials right next door are completely untouched? That's only one of the mysteries we're going to be delving into tonight. Apropos of, well, I'll tell you what, let me, let, let me do this. Let me go to our guests because I think that's probably the the uh, segue we should be doing now and I will hit the appropriate button here and we will do uh, see I'm I'm missing what I should be doing hang on one second folks hang on okay um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring on our mystery guest first I'm going to introduce Kinthea who has known her a reasonably long period of time years and in a curious way, it was um, Kinthea's trip to Lahaina, which introduced me to this individual. And so, as I said before, in this era of Internet fake news and all kinds of other claims and speculations and totally ungrounded assertions, it's nice to have what we used to call in the old days a paper trail so that you know who you're talking to in terms of their I witness testimony. So without further ado, let me introduce Kinthea. 
and Kinthea will introduce our mystery guest tonight, who wants to go by the appellation, which is very interesting for this show tonight, of Singularity. And you will see how that name, which is obviously a pseudonym, is ultimately quite appropriate for what we're going to discuss. Kinthea? Well, good evening, everyone. Can you hear me fine? Bye bye. Okay, great. Well, I'm delighted to bring on my dear friend of over 15 years. I first met her. She owned an art gallery that she invited me to show at. And she's highly creative, extremely intelligent. She's had a broad base of experience in life. She's been a phlebotomist, a, a caregiver, a security guard, a manager of a big corporation and uh oh so she's another generalist she's another generalist (laughs) that's right and she's really sharp fast and she's got a wit a humor that is lightning fast i she's one person who keeps me in just uh rolling in laughter all the time so you know it's uh it takes a quick mind to do that and she definitely does have a quick mind and being that she's an artist herself, she's also got this very astute quality of observation. And during all the time that I've known her, I've never, ever felt that she wasn't being truthful with me. I could, you know, stand on her word as being totally genuine, and I totally trust what she says when she tells me what she says. So. Welcome to the show, Singularity. <laughs> Let me do this. And you, hear me okay? you need to speak up. Okay. Maybe she's muted. How about um, there how you about go. now? Okay. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. I can't Hi. hear her very well, well. Okay. Let me just lead in by saying that... Uh, <laughs> Lately, since August 8th, there's been a lot of um, complications with the functioning of of things that normally function fine as far as electronics, things online, cell service coverage, and things like that. Um, So I'm hoping that you'll be able to hear me clearly, and I'll stop periodically and ask just to make sure. Okay. We can hear you perfectly right now. (laughs) Awesome. Why don't you start by telling us, Singularity, how you wound up being a Bay Area person moving to Hawaii when you did what you went there to do and how you eventually wound up in uh, Lahaina? Well, um, I came to Maui 22 years prior. It was the only time I had been to Maui, and I fell in love with it, and like many other people. I said, I'm going to go there one day. And a time came in my life when I was free and able to go. And so I packed two bags and started my life over here. Um, there's, there's things about Maui that are so unique that you don't find any place else in the world. Along with landscape and beauty and sunshine and clear, clean water and air, there's a mentality 
in the community, in the people that are from here that I haven't seen anywhere else. And it's so amazing and so dynamic. I mean, we all pretty much are familiar with this phrase, aloha, right? Mm -hmm. But there's so much more that goes into that. There's, they don't teach their youth about stranger danger as is done on the mainland especially. They teach their youth about respecting elders, respecting those around them. They don't teach them about living and functioning in a state of fear. They teach them about living and functioning in a state of respect. And so when you come to Maui, you'll see these little kids that you've never seen in your life approach you and they call you auntie and they call you uncle. And it gives you this feeling of family, ohana. And it's, it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no, um, there's no um, societal like controls by fear within the community here. And with that, I would like to kind of just step aside for a second and talk about this fear. You know, when we are presented with information that is overwhelming, that we witnessed devastational, unimaginable loss, and we don't have enough information about that, it creates a sense of fear in the unknown. And this fear is all based on the fact that we've, we've forgotten as humanity for the most part, that inevitably we all leave this planet. We believe that somehow if we, if we take down these systems or find this solution or or, you know, overcome all these things that we're going to live forever. You know, I'm sure that's another show perhaps with Elon Musk. It's not this one because we need to embrace the fact that if we are so afraid of the inevitable, we will live in a state of fear and we give away our life to others who promise us something and who, who give us lack of information when if you step out of that fear and you embrace your life, you can come together with people in your community and find solutions for what matters in that moment. And that's what's happening here on Maui. You know, mainstream media and a lot of different social platforms are, you know, presenting information that, you know, FEMA, Red Cross, and all these other organizations are you know, have raised millions um, to help fund the relief from the devastation of the wildfires. Well, here, I just went out to Lahaina today, place out there's no longer existing, so I'm staying elsewhere. But I went out there today, and the first stop I made was um, at a park where the most organized, awesome, welcoming outdoor store of supplies and people, faces I recognize from the community were there welcoming, hugging, supporting, talking, and not not um, having people sit down and wait for them to get to 
them. They were distributing supplies that they were able to source with the help, of course, of donations and, and you know whatnot. That's all relevant. But there was no limitation in what or when or to who things could be issued or you know given to. And it was in it worked fine. There was nobody out there taking more than what they needed. That's another beautiful thing about Maui. It's a small island, you know? If some knucklehead comes and fills up the back of their Toyota truck with a bunch of toilet paper, you know, it's not going to be long before, like, you know, people go, hey, you know, pack up the family. We're going to go knock on this guy's door. You know, everybody knows what goes on here. People know people here. Things don't go far before it gets addressed. And it's, there's no there's no violence here, like on mainland. You know, it's not uncommon to see a couple of huge dudes rolling out the front of a bar door, punching each other in the streets. And I'm not about violence at all, at all. It's never the solution. However, these guys don't murder each other. We don't have gang activity here, where he's out for blood and power and control. I mean. Stop to get up, lock arms, buddies again, and walk back in the bar. You know, for me, it's a female and <laughs> a peaceful person. It's a head scratcher. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying it's common to see that. They work out their problems amongst themselves, and they don't need to recruit outside armies that are ready to take somebody's life out of a simple misunderstanding or a different point of view. Well, one so, uh, one of the things let me I go would back to this yeah yeah uh, singularity. One of the things I would want to note is that you're describing mm-hmm. a remarkably close knit community, the way America used to be, with little small towns and hamlets. I mean, I grew up in a town of three four thousand people. So yeah, you get to know an awful mm-hmm. lot of people, and most of that has yeah, disappeared. Certainly in huge urban, you know, centers. But the most interesting thing yeah. I found about the Hawaiian island experience is, of course, it's at 19.5, which for those who are very familiar with this show and with the physics I alluded to at the top of the show, that I think is a, a large unconscious part of the, of the people and the relationships and the community that you've been describing, because there's nowhere on earth that that can obtain Unless it's close to 19.5. Well, um, as well-versed as I am or would like to tell myself that I am in, you know, alternative and common sciences and knowledge, I have no clue what 19.5 is about. By the end of the next two and a half hours, you will. (laughs) Okay. I have other needs, but okay. If it's a gift, I'll take it. If it's not delivered by somebody in a uniform with a gun telling me they're here to help me, I'm good with that. Okay, we got I about one go minute to the and bottom. Explain why I'm singularity. Yeah, exactly. I'm singularity because my story is only one of many, many people who all have their story and their experience and what they've seen and what they know that is just as relevant and on many levels, even more relevant than mine. 
I think that the only way that we are going to be able to really get through this and at least, well, we get through this, of course, but what I mean is to, to set forth the possibility of the change that's been needed for so long. And I think that on Maui, because it's such a small island, people know each other. And there's an ability for that to happen here. Okay. Are you able to hear me? Yeah, fine. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're literally now a minute from the bottom. So I'll tell you what, let's hold the segue between how you went from the mainland to this remarkable place in Maui and when, and then, yeah. and then we'll obviously talk about what happened on um, August 8th. So if everyone holds it right there, uh, I want to play. We're going to be playing some uh, indigenous Hawaiian music tonight for our bumpers. And this was provided by Singularity. Enjoy. Take a look around. Get an understanding of why the children smile. Can't you see just what we're made of? The beautiful ocean, sunrise and sunset. Falling underneath the moonlight, palm trees swaying, music is playing, ready to dance your troubles away. Nothing by letting your soul sink in the With the barbecue burning. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcasters to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Get a beautiful scenery No fireplaces, volcanoes Building mountains of greenery Jumping from a waterfall Says it all, yeah And that moment when your body hits the ocean Let it all sink in, And Singularity is back with us. Let me click on the proper buttons here. This is a uh, Hawaiian artist named uh, Kaipo, I believe. And what? Well, why did you send it, and what does it mean to you? It means, <laughs> why did I send it? Well, because I love that song. I think it's a great song. There's so many, so much music, you know, of, of the, you know, different uh, musicians from Maui on Maui, on all the islands, actually, um, and that have traveled outward. And it's music that 
is about what's important. Life, beauty, happiness, love, community, ohana, you know, taking care of what you love. And when you love something, by nature, you protect it. Indeed. Okay. So, okay. So, um, why did you choose tonight for this program, this, this testimony? Why did you choose, uh, something other than your own name? Well, I have a very unique name and even in everyday life, um, it, it always kind of, um, I guess creates a distraction for what, this is something that I don't want my name to be a distraction or for others to lose sight of the message of what I would like to present. It doesn't matter who I am. This, my story is only a piece of something much bigger. And so, yeah. I mean, there's also information and things that I've seen that um, are outwardly, evidently, here on the island, um, being censored, being shut down. There are... There are people on this island right now that are not from here that have um, arrived as what they're terming boots on the ground. And they like to present this boots on the ground thing. I mean, like, first of all, boots on the ground. Nobody really questions, like, well, what all do they mean by that? You know, I mean, first of all, everybody here wears slippers because <laughs> boots on the ground means military personnel. All right. Um, I know that there's like this, I have great respect for people who protect out of love and a genuine care for life and sustaining life. Um, but that's, I'm not seeing this well-being and concern for well-being for life and what's going on here. What I'm seeing instead is this boots on the ground that's still got the uh, main street off the highway going through Lahaina. Complete, not, not just blocked off. They're not just there, there with some cones. They are barricaded. These are solid barricades. Some of them cement. These aren't just like the big boulders that, you know, <laughs> the guys got together and rolled out there to stop things because that's kind of common. You know, but no. These are like serious barricades. There is no way past them on either side. I mean, unless you got like some serious mud tires, but even still, they got armed personnel at every one of these barricades, these streets going down into all of the areas that are, (sighs) there's, there's, Next to nothing left. There's minimal amounts of structures. There's some trees standing. I mean, it's just. Well, there's not the, even a bathtub. Bathtubs are porcelain, okay? Do you know how much heat it takes to melt a bathtub? 
I mean, literally, there's nothing like that standing. It's not like this is structure fire. Well, Lahaina I, I, has grassy areas around, but not super tall grass. Singularity. I, small grass. I, I do know from my NASA experience that in lieu of, mm-hmm. a, of a better material back in the 1960s, when NASA was launching its first stellar observatory, a dream of you know, amateurs and professionals for 100 years, the material they mm-hmm. chose to cover the observatory to shield it from radiation and heat and all that in orbit around the Earth, a telescope, was porcelain because it's an impermeable... They were probably doing some after-hours recording in there. That would be great <laughs> acoustics, I imagine. Well, it, 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 was a, it, was, it was basically a one-meter, three-foot telescope, so it wasn't very big. The point is, it was chosen as a protective material by a space agency mm-hmm. that's been developing protective materials for space for a very long time. And it sounds old-fashioned, but it's a really neat material. And that's where this weird physics comes in, because the only thing I know which can destroy it without incredibly high temperatures is the technology applications of the physics we're talking about tonight, of which one huge important number in planetary physics is the latitude of 19.5 degrees. So anyway, uh, because we're going to get lost otherwise, I'd like you to start from the beginning and talk about August 8th, what you were doing. When you became aware mm-hmm. that things were not normal, in other words, if you start out very mundane and matter-of-fact and just daily life, that's fine, because the segue into unbelievability for a lot of people, me included, needs to be gradual. This is, this is a shock to the system to believe what you're going to talk about. So start at the beginning as the day was normal, and then what happened? Well... Richard, actually, it would go back to the day before. Okay. Um, my my place of employment was right in the center of Lahaina, right near Front Street. Um, you were working for a, a, a touring company, right? Well, you know, again, Richard, I am going by singularity for a reason. Maui is small. Oh, okay. We give too okay. much information. Anybody that wants to can come and you know. Well, all right. Let me let, me let me address that. Okay. Some years so ago, I'm not afraid of it. I'm just saying. Hang on, hang on. Some years ago, they tried to kill yeah. me. They tried to kill uh-huh. me. Robin saved my life. Robin is not here tonight. Um, immediately after we realized what had happened, I went on the air. I went on Art Bell, and I talked very loudly mm-hmm. about everything associated with it, including the weird guys that showed up the days before and sat in their blue paint-spattered truck and glared hate at us as we went to and from the, mm-hmm. the motel room. So I've discovered over the years that the way you confront this fear is you are immediately, blatantly public. We have all kinds of venues now for making everything very visible. We also have, the bad guys have, all kinds of ways of finding out who you are, even if you are under a pseudonym, et cetera. So, you know, I have a certain perspective that the answer to fear is openness and transparency. So let us proceed. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. However, I also want to state that 
I know I'm going to go at some point. I would love nothing better than to, you know, have it be written out on a, a legacy of purpose and meaning and reason. However, the people who do not want the information that um, I've been exposed to out there have no, no, um, no appreciation, no value of the lives of young people, of children, clearly. And I have children in my family that I don't want them to ever have any kind of repercussions or possibility of anything like that. Okay. I don't need people targeted um, because I'm sharing the singularity of my story. And so in that, who I am is not important. What I'm, what I have to share with you and the point of this whole, my, anyways, my point of, of coming to you to rebuild this and share this um, would be missed in, in, in who I am. It's not about me. I don't want notoriety. I don't want to be recognized for any of this. This isn't about one person. This is about the community of Maui. And one person can do only so much. It's going to take people coming together and not one needing more attention or power or say over the other and respecting one another. And that's what happens on Maui. When you get, let's go back to the seventh. So um, we were, it was said that there were going to be, uh, you know, high winds coming in from an offshore Hurricane Dorothy that was passing by. Um, and so, you know, usually we're like, okay, you know, that's fine, winds, whatever. And, you know, we've dealt with winds before. Winds here in, you know, some of the areas on Maui are an everyday occurrence. And I mean, winds that are like, whoa, really windy. You know, that tree top almost touched the ground. That's normal. Um, so it's not like board up your windows wind. But people, you know, start looking at like, okay, well, some power lines might be down. And that's another thing. Here on Maui, power lines are down all the time. There's a grassy hillside that runs out uh, all the way out to Lahaina, out to, uh, you know, Aluwalu, all of that. And I was stunned the first time I saw it, these big, thick cables, power lines down in the driest grass. And, like, there's no fire. There's not a speck of water in that grassy area, but these lines are down. And they're down for a long time. And there's never been a fire like that. I mean, fire from that right there. I mean, I watched, you know, because there's only a two-lane highway there, you know. And being born and raised in California, you're afraid of, like, not afraid, but, you know, being conscious of, like, well, what would you do in an emergency? And that's one of the things that notoriously in California, they say, oh, that's what started those gigantic fires that devastated paradise that, you know, totaled all those wild acres is a power line down in the grass. So, yeah, Maui's a magical place, I guess you could say, because it doesn't happen here. Um, anyway, but it, the power does go out. So it was determined that I wouldn't work on Tuesday. And um, so I got up in the morning and decided to go to the beach for a little while because it wasn't all that windy yet. I remember on the way to the beach, um, there was a group text from all of, you know, the employees at work and the person who was, you know, opening the location that day, you know, sent a message into the, um, 
the group chat and said that they weren't able to, um, you know, get the lights to go on or, you know, get the systems up for clocking in and whatnot. Um, there's no power. And so that was the last that I had heard of that. Um, wasn't my, I'm not in the role to provide the solution that or make a call on that. So at the beach, usually you can see from McKenna, a beach on McKenna, you can see, you know, the land around you see over to Alawalu, um, going out towards Lahaina and all that. Um, you can see Malakini. Anyways, there was a solid thick gray wall about, I think probably about half a mile out into the ocean that you couldn't see Alawalu. You couldn't see any of that part of the island. And it was like a thick gray mass. And it didn't look like smoke. I mean, we kind of had heard there was a, a, a grass fire in Lahaina that morning and, and one up country. There was also the wind started picking up at this point. And usually when there's wind and there's like smog or whatever, which we don't have smog here, but any kind of like standing, you know, gas or cloud smoke in the air and there's a lot of a lot of wind, high wind. It moves it around. You can see the movement of it. That wall didn't move. It didn't shift. It didn't change. It didn't get thicker. It didn't get, you know, thinner. None of that. And the winds became really, really intense. Was it west of uh, the island or north? <sighs> you know, in California, I could answer that question in a heartbeat. Well, Lahaina is on the west least- coast of Maui, so... You can look west, you can north north. If you look south, you're seeing the island. So it's got to be one of the two. Well, let's just not like outwardly expose all my faults and, you know, deficiencies <laughs> right here at the beginning of the hour, shall we? Okay, let's just let people discover them organically. Nonetheless, I headed home. And at about midnight, Around about eleven o'clock, I went to go to bed. I, I live in an upstairs house. This is on, this is on the I night. This see, is on the night of the seventh, or it's on the eighth. Yeah. Yes, the night of the seventh. Okay. I can you know I can see things around. Well, there was a lot of smoke in the air, but you couldn't see where it was coming from. And I mean, like if there's a massive fire up on the mountainside, I can see Haleakala from from my house. You know, in these places where they're saying they're massive fires or this or that, well, I'm not seeing it, but I'm seeing the smoke and I'm smelling the smoke, right? So I go to bed. Um, I'm sorry. That's, this is August 8th that I'm talking about. August 7th was when I was at work coming back and it was windy and the winds were picking up. And that was that we were told, you know, I, I was told I didn't have to work on Tuesday. Right. So Tuesday I got up and went to the beach and that's when I saw the wall. I come home. You know, do all my fun, exciting things that I do, except for like figure out where north, south, east, and west is. <laughs> and that night, um, there was smoke in the air and stuff. And so I went to bed and I got about half an hour later. And when I walked past my living room window, I could see just at the bottom of Haleakala, at the top of um, my neighborhood, where there's a huge grassy area that runs the entire span of Kihei. And I could see like um, 
like a bright red, yellow glow, right? I couldn't see flames, but I mean, obviously, you know, fire is. I'm like, oh, oh my God, that's, that's, it's on fire right there, legitimately, you know? And uh, I thought, well, it's way up there. I'll just kind of keep an eye on it throughout the night, you know? And if I see flames, I know that that's about eight blocks away or so, and I have my go bag ready to go, right? Well, at midnight, my uh, my cell phone scared the hell out of me, woke me up with a uh, emergency alert that um, goes out through, you know, the, the systems that appear to wake people up and alert them of evacuations, um, emergency road closures, things that need to be, you know, responded to and to, you know, get people out of harm's way, potentially. Um, and it was saying that my neighborhood and up on the up the hill was being evacuated and it you know gave instructions on where to go to sh- they had shelters set up in place um in Kahalui um, about just about 20 minutes away or so and different locations and I can still see out my window that this that red it hasn't come closer it hasn't gotten bigger it's not really moving. It's just staying there. So I'm like, well, okay. I mean, you know, precaution's a great thing. I'm sure that maybe whatever, they have a better view of it than I do. Right. Well, the street out in front of my house is all of a sudden gridlocked with everybody getting out. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to wait and just watch and see what happens. Okay. I'm, I'm not somebody who just like blatantly disregards because I think I know better. So please don't get that impression. Um, now let's, 6 a.m. in the morning, we get another alert that all's clear and everybody can come back to these neighborhoods that were evacuated. Because at 1 in the morning, we back up 1 a.m., there was another alert sent out over the phone that the Maui Meadows um, neighborhood was being evacuated as well. So that field up there spans all the way from where I live down to Maui Meadows. Um, and they were also, um, you know, given permission to return back to their homes. And um, that morning, uh, I I don't watch television or anything. So this and is the morning so now of of Wednesday the ninth, right? Yeah. Yeah, Wednesday the ninth. And I I uh, I like to keep up with friends and family and goofy things on Instagram. And that's where I saw that there was a huge fire in Lahaina. Well, I had heard about, you know, a fire in Lahaina earlier, you know, Tuesday morning, but then I also heard that it was fully contained. So yeah. your home was um, outside of Lahaina, like what, two or three miles? Uh, no, I'm, I'm in Kihei. So I'm like 25, uh, 25 miles from Lahaina. Okay. Okay. For those that don't know the yeah. island, you know, that's where we. Right. Um, yeah, it, it's 25 miles away. And we, I had, you know, we all fire. Well, I, we were in my building where I live. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, well, the Lahaina fire was contained because we never heard anything more after that. Um, we decided to head into town and do some grocery shopping at Costco and get supplies and stuff because not knowing what all was going on, just want to beat the crowds and get what we needed in case we needed to just, you know, stay in or whatever. Um, 
right as it opened. And uh, on but driving out there, I from Kihei to Kahalui, there's like a very large, wide open uh, dry field. That's also like a dust bowl, but it's, it's always dry, dry grasses and whatnot. And as we got down right about where like uh, the industrial area is off to the right, um, not high rise buildings, you can still see everything. We could see a fire that was like in like a ring. It was it, it wasn't massive. It wasn't huge flames. There we didn't see any fire trucks or anything like that right there around it. It wasn't super close, but the way it was a ring, it looked like a controlled burn. You know, I'm not a firefighter or any of that stuff, and neither is my partner. But we were kind of looking at it like mm, it looks. It, it just somehow looked like contained controlled fire, you know, as if like they had created a fire line so that when the fire rolled down, it would hit that fire, which was already, you know, being controlled. Therefore, the fire wouldn't spread. Okay, so okay. we went, got our supplies, came back. The fire hadn't moved. It was still in that same place. But we're going like, well, you know what? But that's pretty, that could be, you know, rapid moving, whatever, pretty close. So... What what happened in was you know, it was it windy in in California? Yeah, yeah, it was still windy, but it's always windy right around here. But yeah, it's still windy. Um, so I was like, well, you know what? Let's just go water the roof of the house. What's the harm in turning on water? I mean, clearly that's what they're using to put out the fire. So if it's going to move and whatnot, let's just have the ground wet. It's hard for a saturated roof to catch from an ember, right? Right. Um, so I went out and started hooking up the hoses on the roof and whatnot. So this and is like the, up there. The, 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 this is your house. You're back at home now at your house, right? Yeah. 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 And so as I get up on the roof, I can see over the field that, you know, the night before we were allowed to come back because everything was contained, da da da. Well that fire is closer now than it was the night before. Hmm. I mean like really close. And so, uh, are we talking miles or feet? Maybe I'm not, not feet. We're talking like, okay, so we're talking about eight, seven, eight blocks up is where the houses are that back up against that field. Right. Yeah. And I'm seeing billowing smoke now. I'm seeing like, whoa. So it's like a thousand or so feet away. Okay, so there's my other weakness. <laughs> All right. Let's just say it was, the fire was probably about nine, ten blocks up. Okay? Like city blocks. Okay. Up. The point was that it had moved towards the neighborhood, you know, whereas it was much, much further back the night before. And it was advancing. And there was no alerts coming through to evacuate and it's moving through grassland uh, right yeah it's grass it's all dry grass up there like longer dry grass than anywhere near Lahaina but there's no officials no fire trucks nobody doing anything you don't hear sirens going up there sirens going off you don't none of that not even the helicopters that usually bring the uh, you know pouch of the water and drop them on the fire there was nothing like that going on up there Again, it was still pretty windy, but not so windy that a helicopter wouldn't be able to go up there. So I don't know 
I mean, okay, I'm not a helicopter operator. I'm not a firefighter. Let me back that up. Let's keep this facts and not my opinions, okay? Because that's not fair. Um, there was, at that time, no helicopters going up there and whatnot. And so I'm thinking, like, well, you know, maybe if people can just, every house on that back row turns on their sprinklers. That could help, right? I mean, yeah, of course. They're obviously going to need to bring water up there to, to put out the fire. So if everybody has their sprinkler going, then that would be like a, a water barrier. If it doesn't work, at least it was effort was you know given, right? So I jumped in my car and I went up there, and um, you know, some people were out in their yards and doing things or walking around or looking, um, and I just you know. But hey, um, and the fire at this point is just how are, cute. How are if you guys turn? I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but how about if you turn on your, your sprinkler? Let's say water. Let's so, so hang, water on, hang on, hang on, hang on. The fire is only a few blocks yeah. away. You can see it. Could these people also see I, it? Yeah, yeah, they could see the, the flames approaching. Um, well, let me let me stay, back that up. The houses, um, that backed up against the field pretty much really blocked a lot of the view of what was going on back there. You could see the smoke. I mean, it was in the air. There were embers in the air flying around. Hmm. Like, tell running what, around in shorts, one flew in. Tell you what, we're, we're at the top of the hour. Like, oh, shit. We're at the top of the hour. Hold Pardon? it right there. We're at the top of the hour. Hold it right there. My guest this morning, who wants to be known as Singularity, is a first-person witness to the unimaginable which is the beginning of a catastrophe the likes of which the Hawaiian Islands have never known. We'll get back to our guests uh, very briefly. We will be taking a short break. We're at the top of the hour. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and in honor of the indigenous people of the Hawaiian Island chain, we're playing their music. We shall return.
support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, verging on Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment. Our guest this morning for the first hour or two is uh, calling herself Singularity Sight because her experience in what she saw in Lahaina and on Maui, having lived there for some time, is, among other things, a singular experience. But it's larger than that, as you're going to hear as we go through her first-person eyewitness testimony this morning. So this is now the um, ninth, the morning of the ninth, and you've decided to go into Lahaina, 25-mile trip uh, up that highway to pick up groceries because of uh, previous alerts the night before about evacuation and fire and that. You come back home and you see that the fire, a fire, is like 10 blocks or so from your community of houses outside uh, uh, along the coast there. And you decide to jump in your car and go and get neighbors to turn on their sprinkler systems to form a kind of an aerosol water break against the fire, which is getting closer and closer and is about uh, 10 blocks away. So why don't you pick it up from there? Okay. Well, I got to back it up from there. Okay. I drove to Kahalui to get groceries. I didn't drive out. Oh, okay. 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 I drove, I drove from here to Kahalui, and so you don't see Lahaina from going in. So Kahalui. it's in the opposite direction. I'm, yes. Okay. Pretty much opposite direction. So um, I'm up on the, the top street, and the, the smoke's getting pretty dense. Um, at the end of the street where the, uh, there's a cul-de-sac that opens up to the field. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Uh, there's, I can see uh, a couple, like one water tank truck, one police uh, SUV, and two police officers, and one uh, one fire truck and, and three um, firefighters, and they have a hose hooked up to the, the um, fire hydrant right there in the neighborhood, and the flames are like right there, and I you know walked up to the or well kind of walked quickly up to the uh, police officer, you know, not wanting to cause panic or, you know, seem out of control or whatever. But I, and I said, you guys have PAs on your, uh, on your cars. Is, can, is an officer going to come up and maybe on the PA, you know, let people know that they need, they need to evacuate or if not, can we have them maybe like say, Hey, can you turn on your wire? Cause I don't know why we're not getting these alerts that we got, you know, just the night before to evacuate and the flames are right there. And last night they were like way up the hill, way up the mountain, you know? And um, 
was pretty blown away. Um, the officer was just like, no, nah, no, nah, we're not, that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. What? We, we don't, we just don't have, yeah, we just don't have the staff today to do that. And so, uh, wait a minute, there's fire blocks I, away. You can see, and the police officer says they're not going to use their cruiser blocks away at that point. And, it's and not this even officer, it's not even half a block away at that point. Oh my God. And he's just like, yeah, nothing's wrong. It's a wonderful day in paradise. Yeah, yeah, like um, our minimal, minimally staffed crew here have got this under control, <laughs> but yet the fire is approaching. And, you know, at that point, further down a little bit, I could see a helicopter come over and drop some water. But right there, this was like, you know, not like a wall of fire, but it was flames and, and they were moving forward and there were embers in the air and stuff. And, you know, at this point, people in that neighborhood have gotten on the roofs with their hoses. And they're running video of what's going on in that back field there. You can also hear bulldozers back there, you know. Um, one of the people that was out, you know, looking at this, like, well, it's, she's, and she lived in one of the houses that backed up against the field. And she goes, oh, it's fine. They've been out there with bulldozers for three days digging trenches as a fire break. I'm like, okay, well, and the, you could still hear the, the big bulldozers out there. Um, I didn't so, want to be uh, in the uh, way. Uh, there was nothing more I could do. I turned around. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Yeah. I need to ask you some questions. Yes. This is a okay. this is a, yeah. a a a suburban neighborhood, right? Yes. Does it have fire hydrants? Uh, the one that they were hooked up to, and you know, hosing down it the just flames has one? right there on that corner. Well, I I didn't go and count all the fire hydrants. All I know is that was the only one that they were using, and it was right there. There were no other fire hydrants turned on in the neighborhood that I saw at any point. Well, these guys have very long hoses. If it's literally visible blocks away, they could put hoses together. I'm sure they appreciate you saying that. Well, but, um, apparently, apparently they had it. They had it handled, and so they didn't use any more. Or I don't know what. Um, I turned around and I saw an, um, an elderly man standing there, kind of like puzzled, like, well, right across the streets, a big fire going on. And, you know, and I just went, you know what, um, I'm going to climb up on your roof. How about if you turn on your hose and hand it up to me? And so I got up there and, you know, people are still across the street watering their roofs too. I thought, you know, at least I can try and do something, you know. And it's not that I want to stand there and watch this fire burn, but I, I couldn't very well just throw my hands up and leave when maybe that could help if this fire continues to advance forward, at least give this man, you know, a chance of saving his home or something. And so I was watering the roof and uh, he was out watering around the grounds. And um, I saw that the fire was still getting like really close and it, the house across the street, the corner of the fence line, it was right there. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is uh, um, all my efforts in the world are, are worth nothing if we don't survive. So I, I walked right over to the other side of the roof and I, I called to the man and I said, Hey, I think that we need to just leave the water going and uh, go ahead and get out of here. It's, it's getting a little, really close and, and we're better off just leaving. You know, your house doesn't matter if you're not alive. And so I climbed down off the roof and, you know, he 
went to go in the house and he said, oh, I have my keys in my pocket. I'm like, yeah, you can come back to your house if you're alive. And I think your chances of being alive are better for you. You know, go ahead and hop in your car now. And I wish you well. And I, he got in his car and he drove off and I ran down the street and got in my car. And I didn't want to be in the way. I didn't know what else to do. So I, I you know, drove back down the hill to my house. Um, let me just say, amazingly enough, they were able to stop that fire and none of those houses on that, on that street burned or anything like that. Um, the fire did continue on to certain degrees throughout the night. Um, not to where they ever issued any alerts or anything like that. Um, as that evening progressed. I began to hear the news about Lahaina. This is the evening now and, of, of of the ninth. Yeah, yeah. I began to see the pictures being posted, and and I mean, wow, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. How does a brush fire get so hot that it burns down an entire harbor and every boat in it? The boat? That's a pretty damn hot fire. Wait, I mean, like, wait, wait. The boat was fire? All, gone. The boats were gone. Gone. They weren't just on fire. They were gone. They weren't there. The into- all the docks that were there, gone. Like nothing there. Um, <laughs> houses. Unrecognizable. I mean, just... I can't even... I mean, everybody... A lot of people... I suppose maybe everybody has seen the the pictures of like the, you know, oh my God, level of devastation and and destruction there, right? When, well, for some of us, the aerials reminded us of uh, Hiroshima. Well, I'm sorry for those of you that can remember that. I have no memories of that whatsoever. And, Instantly looking at the, the aerial photos, I'm seeing like, okay, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. That is like, they're unrecognizable, but hang on, what's up with the house right next door? Green grass, no soot on the paint. I'm thinking like, oh my God, this is exactly the patterning of burning that we saw in California, you know, in the Santa Rosa fires and the Geyserville fires and the Paradise fire. Well, not so much Paradise fires too, but there were some things in it that were abnormal. But the fires up past Santa Rosa and all that was like, how can that be? You know, you know, <laughs> the fire wasn't. It wasn't like they stopped the fire right there and they saved that house and everything beyond that. No, it was just that one house because everything around it was absolutely unrecognizable. Was this and so big, I went, oh, my was, God. Was, was this the big huh. house on the uh, waterfront that had the red roof? Um, yeah, that was one of them. But there were a few others as well, hmm. further back up in the neighborhoods and whatnot. Um, and, again, it's like we've all been, especially over the last, what, five, six years, so uh, – so brainwashed, I hate to say it. So so uh, conditioned. That's better. Brainwashed is not cool. So conditioned to be triggered by the terms conspiracy theorists and you know um, fear porn and things like that. But when you're seeing something that's unexplainable, 
your mind logically wants to find some explanation so you can process what the hell you're seeing because it doesn't make any sense, you know? No, it doesn't. All, all everybody or anybody can say is, how in the hell is this possible? Well, then I start hearing that, oh, my God, they barricaded the both ends of the town in Lahaina. People couldn't get in and couldn't get out. They were stopping people who were coming to try and get their families, their kids out of the areas that they can see were on fire. And they were physically being stopped. I didn't see this firsthand. I saw the people who were saying that was their experience. Like, they obviously didn't get any alerts on their phone. No, you know, none of that was in place. And... I mean, like, okay, how would it ever make any sense to barricade a main thoroughfare when there's a fire? Why would you block a road? That doesn't stop the fire. You know, people aren't like, oh, hey, let's go roast some marshmallows. Mm. Pack it up. Let's drive in. People are trying to flee from this fire, you know? So I want to keep track of the time and the dates. This is now... The morning of the ninth, no. right? This is actually throughout evening of the ninth, and well into the next day, the tenth, the eleventh. Well, I, I wanted to trace your movements you know, from getting off. More. I wanted to trace your movements from getting off the roof, trying to save the guy's house, and yeah. both of you leave in your cars. You go back to your mm-hmm. house. This is still mm-hmm. uh, the morning of the ninth, right? No, um, by this point, it's um, early afternoon, okay. mid-afternoon, going into evening. It's like four, three, four. Um, so much happened uh, in that short amount of time. Well, that's what I want to try but, to keep track of. So you go back home. You say it's mid-afternoon yeah. when you stop trying to save No, me. no, it's, 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 um, it's probably, say, three o'clock. Well, that's mid-afternoon. 3, 3.30. Yeah. It's like 3, 3.30, yeah. Okay. About 3, 3.30 by the time I, I get home and whatnot. And uh, and I'm learning about, or hearing about what else going on in Lahaina. And I just felt like, okay, I need to just kind of get out of my house, get the first perspective. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I just had some um, weird person come up in my driveway and say, hey, are you blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah. I was thinking, like, maybe there was something I needed to do to help. And he's like, well, here, these documents are for you. And um, he greeted me with a uh, um, an eviction. What? Court document. Yeah, right? Wait a minute. While all this I mean, disaster is going, going around, on, delivering some... court documents. On this day. Like it's well, a perfectly normal day. Right? I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, like, okay, um, I begin to question reality. Like, things are so unexplainable. So, what the hell? That it, it didn't make any sense, you know? And, yeah, so I got served this, uh, this um, you know, eviction letter. Of course, it's all BS and illegal and whatnot. That's my own personal story, and we can talk about that another time and how that comes into play. But just for the sake of giving this guy the acknowledgement he so wants, 
turns out this process server runs a company called Evictions Are Us, LL. <laughs> this guy has the audacity to make a play off of Toys Are Us using the R and the U, S, instead of, you know, for the Evictions Are Us, right? He thinks that taking people out of the, the serenity and safety of their homes is a game or something to be played with. So not everybody business out of it. Not everybody in yeah. Maui is I just part want to of, let people know. Not everybody in Maui is part of the community spirit you were describing a little while ago. Well, no, not everybody. That's well, I mean, it's exceptionally rare. There's these, you know, people whose parents didn't hug them enough, let's just say that, that are out there that, you know, like to capitalize on, you know, the misfortune that they can contribute to. Okay, so you got a process server. You take the papers. It's now mid-afternoon on the 9th. What do you do next? Yeah. So I, I called a good friend of mine. I'm just like, you know, let's go for a ride. I'm blown away by what all is going on. So there's so no we news. Over to our house. So there's no news about what's going on in other parts of the island, particularly Lahaina. You have no idea what's going on there. Oh, I'm, there's all kinds of news, I'm sure, but I don't watch television, and I don't listen to news on the radio. Okay, I'm already right. at a state I, of, like, feeling, like, borderline overwhelmed by everything I've seen. Okay. And, like, the the um, the behavior of, of, you know, the responding officers and whatnot to what was obviously life-threatening. Um so I'm just kind of blown away, and so I went over to my friend's house, and <clears throat> she has a house every, like, to swing by every now and then. And throughout the evening, um, people came through that had lost everything in Lahaina that had barely gotten out of there, only with what they had on. Some of them didn't even have this with us. Um, some of them... Well, a couple of them had um, taken video on their cell phones as they left, and they were sharing that. Um, this is at your friend's house. To see this. That's at my friend's house, yeah. We got to see this, and I, um, what I saw in these, these videos was very clearly um, bodies, and I don't mean just a couple. I mean hundreds of bodies on the ground on sorry, on Front Street. Flames. There was no smoke. It was just it was just a flash of a second, and it's it's unmistakable what those were. Those weren't bodies that were incinerated. Those were people. Literally, you can see in one clip a person dropping to the ground. The guy throws open the door to try and pull her in. And the heat, without any flames or smoke or anything like that, it's so intense. It burns again. His buddy's like, we can't help her pull the door shut. You have to. And he's, you know, they're still they're driving as fast as they can at this point to get out of there. He, I mean, he says that the heat was so, so intense that literally you couldn't... It, it it burned you. You had to just run for your life because the heat was so incredibly intense. So it was like um, the air itself was on fire. I mean, you don't see flames, though. You see, like, the red glow. You don't see flames in these video clips that I saw. Okay? Right. 
what I'm saying is there was it was almost like something you'd see in like a a horror movie, you know? And these weren't bodies that were burnt so bad you can't identify them. The bodies that they have recovered. Those are bodies they've been able to identify, yeah? Or not identify, but they can tell it's their bodies. They're not just, you know, disintegrated to the point of, you know, you don't know what's what. But they're recovered from the structures that have this same level of devastation and damage and destruction and just annihilation as, you know, that other houses, businesses and whatnot, right? Right. So how is it that, I mean, like, what is it, uh, how is it that we're to not question why somebody's were completely annihilated to the point of, you know, non-existence, but others are not in that state. And this is so incredibly painful to even just begin to fathom. Like, that's just not Maui. That doesn't happen here. People don't hurt each other like that. And then people don't go missing on an island. It's an island, for Christ's sake. Where do you think they're going to go? You know? They're not tunneling out. People don't go missing. Nobody's given answers. It's over a month now, and these roads are still blocked by armed people who are here to help support. How is how is it that you're being helped and supported by a person that's armed when you're a community that's a peaceful community and definitely we don't have the gun violence like would be called for to have some kind of, you know, how is it that they want to try and say that like people aren't being let in because of looting? What the F are they taking? What is left? There's nothing left to take. Hmm. You kidding me? People aren't going in there. So what you're describing, Singularity, is a community which, without any explanation, is being treated Mm -hmm. like a war zone. Um, I don't know how war zones are treated. You have barricades, you have armed troops, you control... Troops? I wouldn't call them troops. I mean, yeah, there's, there's more, you know, military vehicles and helicopters and things like that than there normally is by far but and they're not being aggressive with people but let me just give you an example today i drove out to lahaina there's a wide stretch of freeway where people tend to pull over because you can see the waterfront you can see the town and all that and you can see you know the devastation there it's a place that's safe to pull over it's not like you're going to create a hazard or someone's going to rear in you there's plenty of space and I didn't even, I wasn't even pulled over for like a minute to, you know, take a picture or whatever. And here comes an unmarked gray car with, you know, the, the red and blue lights on top. And, you know, I pulled over and kind of pulled up alongside of me. And they were like, hey, um, you can't stop here. You need to move along. They were cool. They weren't, you know, they weren't jerks about it. But they were, you know, they weren't saying like maybe yes or no. They were like, no, you know, move along. 
Did you I mean, ask, the only thing they did, didn't say is nothing to see here. Hang okay, on, the hang on, hang on. You got to move along. Did you ask why? Yeah. Did you ask why? I did not ask why. I knew why. We know why. When you have to have barricades up and armed people to keep people out of an area where they come from, where they own homes and stuff, it's because there's something there they don't want you to look at. They don't want you to see. You know, nobody's even saying why or giving answers to things that um, that should be known. Like, well, okay, so we've all applied for this aid of these millions and millions of dollars that have been, you know, supposedly made available by these, like, FEMA and Red Cross and whatnot. Well, when are those funds going to be released to the people who are applying for them, who qualify for them? Undoubtedly. They've gone back to check on their applications two, three times. And these aren't the people that are, you know, in the uniforms and whatnot. These are actually people who have flown in from other states. They've left their families and their and their lives to come and help because they actually care about people. And, you know, FEMA's recruited them. They're awesome people. They care. They are limited by the information that they're given. And in that information that they're given, they have no idea when any funds are going to be released or why it's taking so long or any of that. So, I mean, it's like, but from the get-go, there was no help for people that were stranded out past Lahaina because the, you know, the highways were shut down all, all the roads, all the way through. No matter how we're shut down, you can go in or out. They had buses that took, you know, tourists and visitors to the airport to get out as quickly as possible. And that took time too. But resources were not being made available to these people. And so people of the community here in neighboring islands were like, well, let's get the things to the people that need to be gotten to them. You know, it's here, water, you know. So you're saying that there's no federal, there's no federal presence, there's no state presence, there's no, you know, disaster relief with, you know, centers and tents and supplies and water and all the usual things we see, uh, you know, here in the States with hurricanes. They've had this horrible, never before seen event happen in Maui and nobody showed up officially to help. Um, well, right now, there are, you know, beautiful five-star resorts where they have, like, the banquet rooms and whatnot set up with tables and all of the different organizations that are there to help. They're there. Um, they, at one point, did have some waters and actually served hot meals. And so that is in place now. But at the very beginning of it all, it wasn't in place quick enough. And there were so many restrictions as to where, how, whatnot. And also you had like all these people in like, you know, the, you know, um, the big group gathering places like the War Memorial Hall and schools and things like that. And they were at those places trying to provide cots, blankets, whatnot. I don't know what went on there. I wasn't there. I don't have any. Okay. okay. We, we, um, we're at the any bottom right of the to, hour. Any right, to, any right to speculate on what went on there. All what right. I do know. Well, hang on, that, hang on. We were at the bottom of the hour. So yeah. So hold it there. My guest this morning is someone who's an eyewitness to increasing strangeness around, uh, obviously, what went on in Maui and Lahaina and is still going on. And when we come back, we'll have uh, her continue her story and talk about first-person 
witnesses she has interacted with starting that night when people, refugees, were showing each other videos, literal videos of what had happened, including people who tried to stop and be good Samaritans and open their car doors to rescue people. And it was literally incinerating temperatures outside the car and they had to drive on. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland and we're playing indigenous music tonight from the Hawaiians speaking for themselves. We shall return. Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. here on this Saturday night on this very important program on the other side of midnight where we're talking about the the bizarre, increasingly bizarre surround to the Maui, the Lahaina devastating fires with an eyewitness who was there, who lives there, who worked in Lahaina, who lived just a few miles away and who interacted with not only a community trying to save itself uh, south of Lahaina from the fires, but talked to many eyewitnesses who escaped under very difficult circumstances from a town that was literally barricaded. So folks could not get out or 
get in during an extraordinary catastrophe. Uh, Singularity, you're back on. I think you're back on. Hang on. Let me make sure. Uh, There we are. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Yes, we can. And the... And so, the and the siren behind you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. So, as far as like these boots on the ground, yeah, they did bring in, you know, people wearing boots, you know, personnel, whatever, um, military, um, what would be, you know, normally, I guess, uh, seen people with assumed authority, um, carrying guns and whatnot, and. Those are the people that are manning these roadblocks and telling the people who have homes that had homes there and businesses there that they cannot enter even after all evidence signs of danger are gone. They want to say there's contamination levels and whatnot, but, and so they have their specialists or whatever human beings, just like we are human beings in there, um, you know, looking for things and trying to recover bodies and whatnot. Well, why not the people who, you know, have their homes and business there, the, um, you know, protective gear so they can go in. What, who would better know where to possibly find a loved one that got trapped in the house that no longer exists, but a person who lived in that house? You know where your family hangs out on a regular basis. You knew what the layout of your house was. These people don't know that. You know, so I mean, there, so there's a there's there's a really over presence trying to keep anybody out that would be familiar with what's going on inside, and having a whole bunch right. of strangers looking for, you know, uh, bodies, et cetera, et cetera, that don't even know the layout of the mm-hmm. individual structures they're they're trying to search. In other words, they're trying to keep something they don't want people to see contained within. The burned out community. Right. But then they're also playing this. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on your show, but I mean, there's nothing else to call it but head fuckery of like showing that, you know, all oh, the resident is down trying to clean up the branches from the old banya tree. Well, what the hell is that guy doing in there? If you're not letting anybody in, well, I don't think that guy's really in there. I think it's just some story to kind of try and like remove the level of control that is reality here, you know? And then there, they also, you know, a few, what, a couple of weeks ago, there, oh, somebody got arrested for going into, you know, the zones that nobody's allowed to go into for their own safety. If these people were really concerned about safety, we wouldn't be dealing with this situation. Do you remember you the know? movie Close? And, do you remember the movie Close Encounters, where where the two uh, yeah. heroes and heroines drive into the exclusion zone, and it turns out it's all fake. You know, they've, they've, they've gassed the I birds. I was pretty little, so. Well, you should, you know, YouTube. Uh, they, they basically play a whole game <laughs> with people trying to get into this area by making them think there's some kind of gas contamination. A railroad car is upset and there's chlorine or something. And it's all deliberate fakery to keep people from getting too close. It's sounding like something eerily similar is going on in Lahaina. Well, it's not like masses of people are showing up trying to push their way past these barricades, you know? 
they're they're dealing with just mind bending, you know, things that don't make sense and and loss on a level that's like, I mean, children were home from school that day. Okay, like that's massive. That in and of itself is massive. These people are not out there trying to force their way in and and cause problems. These people are trying to just deal with what is. They're being put in a position still to where all of these funds that are supposed to be available to somehow provide relief for them are not being delivered. So every day people are dealing with just trying to get the essential needs for one day, two days, three days. And the people in the community are absolutely distributing and helping and cooking where they can with what they have and making it available to people. The people of the community that have organized to distribute these donations and essentials have got it down. No problem, no hassle, no waiting, no restrictions. You know, they're able to self-organize and, and you know, <laughs> Provide the help that's needed. You know? Help is not, it's not help if you're forced to take what's being done and they're going to call it help. But how is it helping when you're denying people their right to go back to the properties they own? That's not helpful. Well, in every other disaster that I've been familiar with, and I've been, you know, close to some of them and obviously carefully watching, you know, reporting, people return mm-hmm. are, are allowed to return to their homes and try to find something or find pets or yeah. find missing th- – in other words, this is so abnormal for any, quote, right. normal natural disaster that that in of itself is screaming there's something not normal about this yeah and they're saying like oh well there's a lot of toxic stuff from all of the house chemicals and and things like that that were you know typical in a house how the hell do they know what's typical in a house when you can't even see anything there it's just dust and ash how do you know what's typical of you know this community that you aren't you're not a part of you just been flown in to man and then hold down the the security lines how is it that you're going to tell people that you're protecting them from something that is, you know, fictitious. Well, what is the reaction well, this is of bull. what is the reaction of the community of the residents of the people who are refugees staying in hotels? Are, is, is there anybody organizing a resistance to try to get underneath what's going on to get to the truth? Well, you know, there's um, there are movements coming together that for the most part, are still just addressing the daily needs of people. Right. That's what that's what's imminent, and that's obviously what's needed. But also now, there is you know, people are getting you know frustrated and tired of this, and so now the armed you know forces are more present at the places where you would go for FEMA to um, deal with the FEMA people that are there out of the goodness of their hearts, and there are people just like us that care, doing the best they can to help. They have, right going in the door there, they have, you know, very intimidating looking people that are not from here. Those aren't faces from our community. You know, we know our our police officers here. You know, they're, they're members of our community. They interact with you. 
You know, these are not those people. So a natural disaster site ostensibly has been militarized and cordoned off. Yeah. And people are yep. restricted and no one's allowed in that would know where grandma might have been. I, I kind of, in other words, and, and is there any groundswell of reaction to this and people complaining and organizing organized complaints to get to the bottom of why this is being dealt with so bizarrely for a natural disaster? Well, nothing is like questions are the, the right questions are being asked for the most part, but there is no one person that things are being directed to. There is no, um, there's no person that should be accountable that's being, that's making themselves available to find solutions or answer these questions. Well, of course not. You know, I, I know that like a lot of these things are very compartmentalized. I know that there are people in positions of, of political power and things like that, assumed powers that actually care and they're in those roles because they want to, you know, do something good for humanity. I know they're also limited by clearly what is um, not about sustaining life or well-being or safety. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this situation. You know, there's there's no way. This is a problem, I think, worldwide with all these things is that nobody can tell you who to go to to address what's going on and get real answers or even go forward. You know, I have, and so that's the problem. I, that's the big problem right there. I have read reports that the mayor of Lahaina is defending all the bizarre decisions about no water, not turning off power, restricting movement, all that kind of stuff as a local official elected by the people of Lahaina, isn't anybody pressing him against the wall and saying, what the hell is going on? Well, no, because he's got armed people around him oh. that are protecting him. And and those people don't know the people in this community. They're doing what they're paid to do, okay? And it's easy to do what you're paid to do when you don't have a connection with these people and when you have your line of duty and your paycheck and more well, important than... In, a human, in, okay, in, and that happened. In a slightly and different, so, in a slightly different venue, uh, you know, mm -hmm. there are infinite, infinite numbers of stories where foreign troops are brought in to police a situation who have no relationship mm -hmm. to the community, just because they have yeah. no relationship to the community, and obviously they won't, you know, uh, the, the line is not supposed to break. This sounds like someone's dealing with Lahaina, like. A war zone, to come back to that metaphor. Well, and so here's the thing. This is what I was saying at the beginning. The people of Maui are much different than any people that I've ever seen anywhere else. They're not going to get together and go, you know, rolling over cars and blocking the streets and creating chaos. These are peaceful people, but they are powerful people. And when you're calm and you can work together as a community, you're not going to have people creating a situation where, you know, it, it just doesn't fare well. They want a solution, but they want a permanent solution. There are people coming together and talking. There are many, many, many people here who have video and footage of what they are trying to cover up. And they want to present this. Everybody that, you know, I've heard from about that has the stuff they're like, yeah, my stuff got banned or it got edited to the point where you couldn't see what was, you know, 
most pertinent information of the video that I provided, or their accounts are getting shut down. You know, again, there's an increase of um, armed, uniformed um, people here now. There's like military trucks on a level that like I've never seen, even at the even at the resorts where they're you know supposed to be come on in, have a hot meal, some water, relax. Let's see how we can help you. You know, sign up for FEMA, sign up for you know United Way, sign up for this, sign up for that. There's like there's a line of of, of like military trucks, all camo and all that stuff, like. What the hell is going on here that they need that much military presence? Who's the enemy? Well, obviously, they know that. Like, well, they they know they know that you can only deny people what you've already promised that you have, and is waiting for them, and you're here to help them with that, and you don't have any answers for them, and they're struggling daily. That's gonna create, you know, normally anywhere else would be like havoc and, and anger and and you know frustration and. And that's not what they're getting. I can tell that like it could border on that. But again, like I said, people in Maui are are different in that way. And they're not weak. There are people coming together. However, there needs to be an uncensored, safe, anonymous, unregulated platform where people of this community can come together, share what they need to share so that the truth can be known and so that the people of that community, of this community, can find solutions for this. Find people in the community. Well, I would think, given social media... Who are, who are accountable that can fill these positions where and be accountable and come to the people and answer questions. Who can design systems that are manned and that, you know, logic is at play because they give a crap about the people because they're their neighbors, they're their family, they're their friends, they're their ohana. You know? Okay, we only have about, we have about you know, listen. Though, well, I just want to say, even the organization that came together just by the community supersedes anything that these highly funded, you know, professionally trained organizations have been able to pull off at this point. Even still, hmm. we don't need, we don't need this. We can, these people better self-govern than under any other abuse of powers. Okay, we've got about injustice. 10 minutes till the top of the hour, then I'm going to bring Kinthea on and, and Robert. I want in the last 10 minutes, yeah. have we missed anything of your story of what you witnessed that we, we should uh, have before the top of the hour? There's so much more in it, but you know what? I think truly your show would be a great opportunity for anybody that has something that they want to share the reality of this and it can provide evidence. Like you said, you're an evidence kind of guy. There's people who have evidence and are in fear of their own safety and well-being and their families by presenting this evidence. Well, one of the things I would wonder if all these hotels are opening their space and offering for refugees and, you know, food, water, hot meals, everything – why doesn't somebody, you know, book some rooms in a hotel and hold a public meeting or a set of meetings where people can share in person what's going on and what they need to know and organize committees to, uh, you know, basically address the public infrastructure to find out answers? In other words, 
Unless Why? Because you get a president who's given people $700. These rooms are upwards of $1,200, dollars $1,600 a night. We don't have money like that. They've lost everything. No, no, no. I'm All talking the about the public rooms. Like, people like, can't rent a room. Uh, yeah, but the hotels are making their space available for everything else. Why not this? Well, has anybody asked? Really? Do they? Do, do they? Well, do they really want people of the community coming together like has that? Has anybody and, and organized asked? like that? No. All right. Our, 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 they don't need. They don't need. They don't need the help of the resorts. They have the parks. They have the land that they love, and that's where they come together. However, a majority of them are still struggling daily to try and provide for their basic needs. In that struggle. It takes all day sometimes to travel someplace to try and get just you know your basic necessities. And also, there's a sense of not being safe to do so. Absolutely feeling like we need to figure out a solution. But you have, now you have you know, armed guards, whatever, people like trying to get in the way and stop people from what they want to do. That's only going to go so far, I can say that. But I think that it would be essential for anybody that wants to contribute to creating a type of platform where Maui can rise. So you went within in the community where there's safety and you- they can share and figure this out together without having the regulators blocking their way. All right. You physically went to Lahaina this afternoon, right? Yes, I did. What did you see? Yes, I did. Are you seeing big trucks coming out mm-hmm. loaded with debris? No, I'm not seeing No, nothing like that. There's nothing coming out of that area. There's okay. nothing moving down in that area. There's no trucks, no cleanup crews, no nothing. It's just the people seeing the entrances there sitting casually because there's nobody approaching those areas. No, there's nothing going on coming out of those. All of the military uh, vehicles are at the resort where um, the you know big organizations are there taking applications and explaining to people that like, you know, oh, there's a, a problem with the system was down or, you know, all these numerous reasons why the funds are not being delivered and they don't know when. All of those military trucks are there. They're there. So there's no salvage operations. I thought they were still looking for bodies in Lahaina. I don't know what they're doing down in there, Richard. I can only see a little bit. You can't stop and get a good look because they don't they have you know, they have people patrolling the highways that are armed and in unmarked cars to move people along so they can't stop and just take a look. So yeah, they have Piled, they have like um, black thick mesh along the um, chain link fences up, so you can't see down in them. You can't. There's so much you can't see, but you can see through the mesh a little bit. But you can't like see see. But you can tell that there's. You can see there's no vehicles moving around and there's no stuff coming out of there. Can you get up in the Again, hills? These, bar- these barricades don't allow people to go in and out. Can you get up They're in barricades. the hills and look down on on Lahaina? I suppose so. I haven't done it myself, but yeah, there's a vantage point up there. I'm sure that people have done it. I'm sure that people that live up there are sick of it happening, you know? They have people in such a state of like, you know, kind of divide the community by by lack of resources and and, um, all this BS, you know, making people think that like there's going to be Lugers coming. Give me a break. Wait a minute, there's going to be what? And so... Yeah, well, that's one of the big things. It's like, oh, looting. 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 
But there's it's yeah, an there's island that people are looting. It's an island. Where right, are you going to exactly. go? <laughs> exactly. And why the hell would people be looting when there's when nothing there's to loot? Nothing paper to and loot. supplies and things like that that the community is issuing out. What are they going to loot? Yeah, exactly. So these are all just multi-level I mean, close encounters excuses to hide something in Lahaina. And is there any official yeah. traffic? Is there any does it, does anything official look like it's going on in Lahaina? Like if you watch the traffic going in and out, who's going in and out? Who's allowed to go in and come out? The people that are going to try and find out what the hell happened that my application didn't get processed or nobody's contacting me. Why am I only getting $45 for unemployment a week when I worked a full time for, you know, a long time here? Those, that's what's going on. Those are the, that's the traffic. People going to try and find out what the hell's going on with just the basic fundamental needs to try and avoid being served an eviction notice in the middle of all this catastrophe and craziness. That's what's going on. Did your house, did your house just, survive? Like, if it, did, did your house survive physically? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, you're so you're battling all the houses in my all the houses in my, in my all the houses in my neighborhood did. Okay, so you're battling a, so you're battling exist. some kind of legal problem as opposed to physical. Mm, I don't have any physical problems going on. No, um, legal problem. Well, no, I think it's more of a challenge. And you know, again, I've already set measures in place. And like I said, the real police officers here of Maui. They're the ones who I called and explained what was going on, and they were like, you call us right back. Anybody shows up at your house to mess with you, we will come and arrest them for burglary. Good. That's the Maui PD that <laughs> I know and that we know in our community, not the ones who are like, hey, move along. Don't stop on the side of a road, even if you're so choking your child back seat, you have to attend to, move along. You so, know? No. So after a natural disaster of this scope, yeah. it's not locals who are in charge of the normal things. It's outsiders it's like an invasion force designed to keep the locals in check is that overstating yeah you? um no no not at all which again is not normal for a natural disaster no and also the ones who are um in here blocking people out of the, their right to their own property are definitely getting paid for that. They're not holding back any funds for them. I'm sure they don't have to go and ask three, four times where the hell's my paycheck. They don't have to go ask, hey, can I get a room tonight or do I have to switch to another um, hotel maybe clear across the island? They don't have to do that. So, yeah, why they got boots on the ground and they got, you know, people funded and things happening. It's all the people that they've hired to come here and try and control the people who don't need. So it's like an invading army to keep the locals poor and fragmented and only able to focus on survival as opposed to what the hell happened? Well, I mean, again, I think Army is actually paint a picture that's not real. That looks like, I mean, Army, you know, we're all exposed to Hollywood, like, you know, tanks and masses of people. These are big, huge, massive groups of armies. I wouldn't call it an army. I would call it a definite presence everywhere you turn that matters, but not in mass. Just enough to where you know they're there and they're not from here. Hmm. It's not an army at this point. I mean, no, it's not an army, but it's definitely a presence that 
why they're not like in your face aggressive and like pushy. They're definitely not letting you um, ask questions. They're not letting you uh, pull over, look at a view that you're used to seeing. They're not. They're not letting you um, access the people. Do you know? Are, and we got about uh, who are in, who are in, who are voted into positions of of, of power um, to be able to answer the questions that that that's what their position would hold. Hmm. They're protecting those people. A real person that governs or helps to rent offices to keep people organized and help them is a person who will be the first one to step up when something goes wrong. They're accountable, they're responsible, and they care, and they don't try and scapegoat stuff and act like there's some, some you know, oh, everything's good, we've got a civil lawsuit against an electricity company. Who gives a shit? There's no faces on that, and it's not even real. The stuff that they're saying are real, boots on the ground, all this funding, this and that, that's not real. It's a great story. Oh, yeah. Things are being taken care of. Are they not? Are they not? Okay, well. We're, I don't want to see people get hurt and a revolution arise. I want to see a solution provided. Okay, look, we'll. we'll so there's a real syndrome here. All right, on, on the next hour, we're going to talk about analysis, solutions, proposals, creative and non-creative. Um, my guest this morning is uh, Singularity, which is a pseudonym. This is someone who's been living in Lahaina for many, many years, uh, came from the mainland, uh, loved it, loves the community, loves the community spirit, the people, and is reporting firsthand very bizarre, totally unnatural, and I use that in the broadest sense, response to what is being billed officially as nothing but a natural disaster. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. 
$0.08 cents an episode, $0.02 cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight, a very uh, serious program about something which the more I hear, the more anomalous it is. And it's thousands of miles away at 19.5 in the Pacific Ocean. And it sounds like an armed, quiet invasion force, because you don't need a lot of people, because there's not a lot of people on Maui, designed to keep the locals in check and keep questions from being ask and keep people out of Lahaina itself, and yet there's apparently, from an eyewitness, not much going on. All the action is at the hotels where refugees are and where uh, supplies are and federal agencies are, and uh, it, it's just so in, so bizarre. Anyway, I want to bring on now Robert Morningstar, who is our civilian intelligence analyst, who's done, I think, four programs uh, on the Maui situation, has amassed a very interesting cadre of research, links, videos, another sets of eyewitness testimony, and so he will join us now. I presume, Robert, that you have some questions that you would like to ask of uh, Singularity yourself. Yes, I do, and uh, first I want to say thank you for being on the show, Singularity. I feel privileged to interview you. I'm going to have a few questions, and I would like to just... Uh, Richard asked me for bullet points yesterday, so I'd like to do bullet point questions and bullet point statements. The first thing I want to clarify is that we're talking here about two fires, and the one that I want to ask you about is the one that you were dealing with personally in Kahului. The night you were uh, trying to get the uh, hoses on your rooftops, you saw a fire approaching at very close uh, range, and you actually did depart. I'd like to ask you, was that fire coming at you from the, the direction of Wailuku, or was it coming from Ka Kahalui Bay, or was it from the direction of Kahumanu Avenue? Can you tell me where that was coming from? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for not asking me if it was coming from the south. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no. What you said is so important <laughs> because everybody's talking about uh, add, the Haina. But bullet point list. <laughs> it was coming into the backside of Kihei off of Haleakala. That's a, okay. that's a big mountain on Maui. Right. So it was at the base of Haleakala coming towards um, Kihei. There was another yeah. one coming um, from um, midpoint between Kihei and Kahalui on the field towards um, Kihei. Okay. The reason I ask that is that something very strange happened in January. And I think this may be the answer why there's such a heavy military presence blocking everyone from scrutinizing the area. In January, there was a 700-gallon 
spill of diesel oil by the U.S. Air Force in the area of the U.S. Space Force headquarters, which is on West Kahamunu Avenue. And that's one thing. The other thing is that this region is where the headquarters of the U.S. Space Force and the headquarters of, get this title, the Bureau of Directed Energy Weapons Directorate. They are both on this island and very close to each other. I want to make it clear, you're talking about fires in Kahului and fires in Lahaina. And I'd like to say, Mm -hmm. I have spent four weeks uh, on on this catastrophe and people have been sending me information in all forms. I witnessed testimonies, videos, uh, personal accounts. And one thing that really stands out in my mind is somebody said regarding the roadblocks, somebody said the people who survived were the people who disobeyed. They did not stand What's in that? line. They what? I said people have told me oh. that the people who survived and escaped were the people who did the police, the people who ran the roadblocks and didn't stay in Lahaina. Gotcha. Because when, it wasn't just when the police. They didn't run the roadblocks. They went off the road and up the hillside. Yeah, I, I'm aware of that. Right. Well, that's that's a hint. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the, the roadblocks were both by police, by the order of the chief, uh, Maui chief of police, John Pelletier, who happens to be the same chief of police who oversaw what I call the cover-up of the Las Vegas shooting. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't know. The other thing, I want to, as I said, bullet point statements and uh, bullet point uh, questions. I'd like to thank Richard for putting the Mercury News up there because later on I want to compare the headline of the Mercury News with the headline that came out of, from the New York Times. And they well, are, I, 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 Robert, I did not pick that randomly because – you know, I lived in the Bay Area, and the Mercury News is a very sophisticated, high-tech publishing operation that has broken many pioneer oh, stories. I know. I know, I know. So that's why I chose that to put up as that's where great. we are now. Gary Webb, God rest his soul, wrote for the Mercury News. Now, let me just say this quickly, the, um, this, this quick uh, bullet point statements are confirmed facts. I've written four articles, long articles on Substack. My, the Morningstar Report newsletter is at robertmorningstar.substack.com. And we've stopped calling it the Maui fires. We have called it the Maui Lahaina massacre. And these are confirmed facts. Governor Josh Green was out of state raising campaign funds on the mainland U.S., the Maui fire chief. Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. There's nothing wrong with being out of state. Well, let government. me say my statements and then you can answer, please. Okay? You've been on for two hours. Let me make my statements. Okay? The Maui fire chief was in Colorado. The Maui director of health and emergency management was off island on Oahu at the regional meeting of FEMA Pacific Partnership disaster response with disaster response officials. The most advanced siren warning system in the USA was not turned on. No fire emergency warning was issued to residents of Lahaina. Schools were closed early. 
Thousands of children are missing or unaccounted for, but so are many parents. Hundreds of children may have perished. Electricity was left on. Water needed to fight the fires was turned off by the Maui Director of Water Resources. Why? The Hawaii Commission on Water Resource Management, Hawaii Commission on Water Resource Management, called CWRM, ignored official requests to divert water to Lahaina. Now, important may question. I, may, oh, please, go ahead. Uh, I, just, I just really, um, there's a lot to unpack in there, but the first thing that jumps off at me is the word massacre. I understand the need to uh, raise the awareness of the uh, the downplay of it being, you know, some natural occurrence or whatever. I get that. But massacre is a word that will, uh, it's a trigger word. I mean, massacre. People, yes, it is a trigger word. This is, this, this, these, are, these are our children. These, this is, it's a trigger word that I think ultimately will uh, incite a level of, um, call to action that's not going to be helpful. And as well, all of these things going on and these, you know, this officer or governor, whatever, whoever, these people that hold these positions here and there and, and all of these things, people need to just step up and fill those positions from yes. the community. But if this was intentional, as we suspect it was for many reasons, you're not doing yourself or any of your neighbors a favor by pretending that it wasn't. You have been attacked. When you have been attacked. Nobody's pretending any of that. Let's not make assumptions, Robert. Okay. Let's just not do that. Nobody's well, pretending a damn thing. I have these There is no questions. ability to pretend anything. Robert, I, oh. I would appreciate it if you present facts and leave speculation till the end, please. Well, the questions I have is who allowed the Maui fires to burn without preventive action by locals or firefighters? They prevented locals by turning off the water. Why was the water supply needed for firefighting shut off by local officials, thus leaving both residents and firefighters completely defenseless? Why was traffic on essential roads and major escape routes blocked by the order of the Maui chief of police, John Pelletier? Why did FEMA interdict deliveries of food and water by local residents to local residents while providing none themselves in the early stages of the catastrophe? Why was the most advanced siren warning system in the USA not turned on to warn the people of Lahaina of a clear and present danger and impending disaster? Why are local people being silenced and why are state officials afraid to speak? Who was responsible for this catastrophe? Okay, mm-hmm. or singularity. Those are my questions. Yes. Very concerned because these things are happening all over the place. If you go through the articles, there's a very interesting comparison to be made with what happened in Maui and what happened in the Paradise Fire, the Campbell Fire, and a small town in Canada called Lytton, Canada. All the information is there. There are so many incongruities and similarities that anyone who looks at it has to see design behind this. And we've all heard about the... Well, I would, I would want to say probable. I don't want to make firm conclusions because everything 
is being deliberately confused so that the truth cannot be gotten at. Right. Now, so we, we have the benefit of an eyewitness. Let's have yes. her address your questions, okay? All right. So first and uh, foremost, you're asking questions that are irrelevant, but also questions that will they never get answered. I think the most important question right now is, I'm not saying to scapegoat or not address that, but the most important question is, what can we set in place or what do we as a community need to set in place to remove all of those people that hold those powers and those abusive powers to set those people in place so that we can have somebody that's accountable. And then let's go and ask these questions. We're asking questions of people with systems that we're thinking are going to serve truthful answers and justice. Come on. No, no. that's these the problem. Are evading responsibility. And I, I see a great degree of criminality. There is something called criminal negligence and everyone is ignoring oh, yeah. that kind of criminality. I don't Nobody know what the answer is. It, Robert. There seems no, I'm not that saying you're ignoring it. I'm saying you need to hold these people accountable. And I'm afraid that everyone has been conditioned to be docile, to be submissive, um, nonviolent. Yes, we should be nonviolent. But when violence is being perpetrated against you by an enemy, it is naive to think that they're going to change. Uh, a member yeah. of the European so, so you make that change. You yeah. make that change as a community. Yeah, you have to make that change. Uh, the military aspect of the takeover, there is an explanation. Mm -hmm. The NDAA, the, the National Defense Authorization Act, Derek declared that the United States homeland, as they like to use that term, in that, has been declared a battleground. And unbeknownst to most of the American people, the American people have been declared combatants. Combatants. And you say potato <laughs> and I say potato. Okay. All right. So the, the, the point is that everything has changed as a result of the NDAA mis, misnamed, uh, the misnomer, the Patriot Act. Is that, it is anything other, anything other than a patriotic to obey it. And as I was going to say, Christine Anderson in the European Parliament. Well, wait, wait, wait. The, the Patriot Act and the annual NDAA are two totally different things. Well, the Patriot Act was the first NDAA. Okay? And there's a revision of it every, every couple of years or every year. Well, it's every fiscal year. Yeah, it has to be authorized and all okay. that. All right. Well, it's still a Patriot Act. The well, first this, well Robert, this, this goes back to my... This settlement. Yes. Settlement. I just want to say... There's a large majority of people on Maui, I would, I can say for sure, that don't give a shit about the history, the, all the titles, all the patriarchs and things like that. Yeah, they have a purpose and all that, but you know what? They haven't done shit to have this stop and not happen again. We what cannot rely on a system that set up and that, that's landed us. We can't, we don't, there's no sense trying to ask and depend on the systems of failure for solutions. It's a waste of time to go back over histories and how people recall it and policies and all that stuff. 
that again is another waste of time and it doesn't provide a solution and it doesn't really address what's right in front of people. All well, of these you policies and all of the all of these organizations and all of the all of the unknowns and all of the, the technologies and the disorganization and that organization and even the words that are in their titles that you know clearly display that they're not here for perseverance of life or, or well-being of people, that all creates a sense of disempowerment that doesn't help. The confusion gets to a point where it's exhausting and people don't feel like they can move forward. And then they don't want to get together and talk about it because it's a damn argument over what organization did what. That's division. Yeah. People, that doesn't matter now. When you're here and you've lost your family, you've lost everything you own, it doesn't matter any of those things. What matters is finding a solution right now that's going to work, that isn't mm-hmm. going to cause any more loss of life, but that's mm-hmm. going to be effective long term. These mm-hmm. aren't people who want to stand around and argue about you know, politics or want to ask permission from people who, have no, their, who do not have their best interests in mind or any ability to do anything to set systems in place that can be honored. They don't care to argue about that anymore. Yeah. These are people who have long these are people who have these are people who don't put their elders in care homes and stick them aside. These are multi generational families in one house where they value the story and the knowledge that comes from the elders and their family and they respect that. That's why you don't have people out there acting like jackasses and getting all up in arms because they have a sense of reason. And then that sense of reason is more powerful than any policy or any organizational name. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. And that is what is going to work. I also want to ask you about the fog, the wall that you saw. Many people reported mm-hmm. to me that in the day, the day before all of this started, they were smelling a foul smell in the air, and it was not fog, it was not sea fog, and it was not orographic fog, and it was not fog, which I understand is a special kind of fog that comes from the volcanoes. And uh, the people actually shut their doors and went inside because of this miasma that overcame the island. So the other thing is that circular fire. Very unusual. Well, wait, Robert, Robert, before you leave that, what are you implying by questioning the cloud bank, the fog, whatever? Well, a lot of people, and this happened also in um, in California with chemtrails, weather warfare is what I'm talking about, and the contamination of the ground, the earth, so that it'll burn more quickly. Chemtrails have been dropping barium, aluminum, and a lot of other toxic substances that settle down on the on the ground and actually make it more flammable. So we may be uncovering another aspect of a high tech high high technology, high um high tech weaponry. Well that, um, okay, and I, I yeah, I, I know about those things, but let's I wanna ask you, when was the last time you were on Maui? Because since I've been here over four yeah. years Mm-hmm. I don't, they don't do the aerial spraying. They don't do the chemtrails and stuff here. You just don't see that. The planes that are flying over, mm-hmm. you don't even see contrails, okay? And I know the difference between the two, and I know oh, chemtrails are very real. But you don't see that here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen here. They don't do the aerial spraying. 
What I'm suggesting Honestly, is that I'm not this, trying this, to like I'm not this, trying to like you know hypothesize or you know say like oh no no that you know that doesn't exist and it's not present here. There's other contaminants, yeah, but yeah. that aerial spring we don't have that here. But I am hypo- I am hypothesizing that this wall that you saw that wouldn't move despite the winds could have come on shore and could be part of this technology. Richard and I know that these uh, weather wars is being conducted. Um, the United States government has in Antarctica has a neutrino uh, particle beam weapon that's capable of triggering earthquakes and uh, may have been used. They accidentally caused an earthquake in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. That's how they found out that it could do it. But we're dealing with something really otherworldly. And there's no really worldly explanation. Well, let me, let me, Robert. Uh, That's empowering, Robert. <laughs> well, what, look, we can't we can't find solutions for what we hypothesize and don't know about, but what we do know about and what we recognize I would, in front of us, we I, can address. I would like to bring some hard evidence to the table because I I speculate as freely as the next person, but I like to do it grounded in <laughs> in, in something that you can you know, touch and taste and feel and will remain anchored. Let me give you some specific data points that occurred to me as soon as I saw the scope of this disaster. The timing to me was so peculiar because it literally was the same day that the president of the United States was returning to native peoples in Colorado, millions of acres around the Grand Canyon that had been open to you know, uranium mining and other resource exploitation, and they're now declared national monuments. This occurred the same day that this bizarre catastrophe, good word, Robert, at 19.5. He was probably on his way to install bubblegum machines there, okay? I mean, really, this guy's a frontline puppet. Well, but that's, again, a political speculation. I'm just telling you the facts. The timing of both events was simultaneous. Furthermore, the day after August 9th, that's my fourth item in Radio with Pictures, the UN sponsored an indigenous uh, people's uh, uh, conference at the United Nations, which is, of course, in New York City. It's called the International Day of World Indigenous Peoples, and there's a whole display and discussion uh, on the website of the background that was literally in the same time frame, August 9th. When I look at the pattern of these events, what occurred to me is that the Lahaina catastrophe, if in fact it was deliberate, if it wasn't an accident of nature, was an attack against native peoples. Because Lahaina, as I said you know, a couple hours ago, at one time was the center of the Hawaiian Empire. And it was a place of incredible political, cultural, and ritual significance for this particular group of indigenous people. And as part of a pattern of someone targeting indigenous people, that's where my speculation kind of bumps up against how can we provide evidence to support such an extraordinary off-the-wall theory. I agree with you, Richard. Well, here's, yeah, well, we, again, you're using racism as thrown in there. That's a huge trigger word. 
here's the thing. If you're looking at the things that happen simultaneously, you you only are able to see being presented to you. And there's a, a way, obviously, to link things together. But there's a lot of things that happened on that day that are relevant, that could be pertinent, or they could build a different scenario. Going back, that, as I've said, on the, that we don't know about. I'm I, not saying it's irrelevant. I'm saying that, like, maybe, how is that helping anything? How does it lead us closer to making sure this doesn't happen again? You have to find the perpetrator. Racism, racism, racism and, and looking at it from a, a, a possible racism attack doesn't help. Well, it doesn't it, help at all. It, it does. All it, it does, you know, uh, singularity if you can identify the perpetrators, the enemy. The I'd people, like to step in. The people who did this. Yes, Kintia, go ahead. So I'm tagging you in, Kintia. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> so what I haven't heard in this conversation was that prior to the fire, there were moves to to buy up that land because they want to turn it into a smart city. And that was the same thing that happened in the California fires. And the natives were saying, no, we're not selling. Now the fires come and suddenly all these investors are swooping in and trying to buy up the land for nothing. And see, they were saying, no, it's historical. We can't, we're, we're not going to let it be turned into a smart city. But now what it's burned down oh well it's not there anymore so now we can make a smart city so okay you know this is is where i'm saying like okay so get all those people off the island have the locals here come on over let's have this discussion no get back on your boat you're playing whatever it's not an option it's not an opportunity period the people that belong here on this land that this land belongs to are in the positions of making those decisions not some you know investor or whatever the hell well, yeah, this, this, the people, the the people economic, here, can, there's some big people here. They can stop you from building shit just by standing in your way. Yeah, and I hope they you do. You know, a policy. Okay, we literally have a few know. minutes. We have a few minutes to the bottom of the hour. I have to be a traffic cop. I do want to bring up this, mm-hmm. that one of the first things that was said by the state government, remember, Hawaii is a state, was that there would mm-hmm. be no outside developers allowed to buy property from people in and around Lahaina for pennies on the dollar. This kind of speculation, real estate nonsense, all that is being automatically excluded from the get-go. So if that was part of the rationale, it's it's been stopped dead. Well, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, there can be again, people on the island themselves, the ones that are corrupt, that want a smart city. You have a lot of people trying to, you know, that are very wealthy there, wanting to buy up property. I mean, that's what I've heard. I'm not there. It's very significant that you were receiving an eviction notice at the time that this was happening. And I think that it's in the power of the people of Maui to stop it by holding up. Don't sell your land. Resist. Resist the temptation. Well, that's what all. Yeah, that's what all. Not, that's what all. They're not going to sell their land. That's what all the public officials are saying. But their land needs to be their saying. land and not 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 owned by some bank or some invisible entity that doesn't have a face that they can talk to. Get but that shit off the island. Give them back their land. Let them self-govern. But okay. I understand they don't need the people to stick up for them anymore because they don't. It doesn't work. Look okay. at what happened. Because okay. we have 
you know what guys we are at the bottom force policies shit's not working it needs to stop we are at the bottom of the hour my guest this morning uh well i have three guests i have kinthia who of course is stepping in nicely i've got robert warningstar who wants to ask some more forensic questions and we have an eyewitness who has lived in lahaina for many many years and who is going by the name tonight of singularity you're on the other side of midnight my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're playing Hawaiian indigenous music tonight for our bumpers. We shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. No, Michael. Bueno, vamos con la última ya, pero primero pues agradecimientos a todos por acercaros hasta aquí esta tarde medio lluviosa. Hay cuatro gotas. Nosotros hemos llegado empapados, ¿eh? Estábamos dos horas antes del concierto secando la ropa en el baño. Sí, sí, ¿eh? Yo me los mojados. Y bueno, agradecimientos a, al Centro Joaquín Roncal y a todo el personal por aquí, ¿no? Que nos han traído y que siempre son tan amables, tan majos y tan... And welcome back everyone. Last half hour on this Saturday night now, grading into Sunday morning here in the Land of Enchantment. Uh, Singularity, I want to ask a very important question, which is, as I said about an hour ago, what are the local citizens doing to, A, get immediate aid and comfort for their dire, you know, extremists, and longer range, are they banding together to find out what the hell happened? 
Go well, ahead. I can't see everybody from a bird's eye view all at once. And if I say yes, no, whatever, whatever, it's a speculation. <laughs> Not only that, but I know that what's going to be effective is just like we have experienced. It's going to be unexpected. It's not going to be talked about. So maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I'm not going to go and, and if I know something, say yes. And like, oh, well, wait a minute. Now they're expecting this or whatever. No, uh-uh. I don't know. I don't know. And if I did know, I definitely wouldn't go talking about it. You said something People earlier about have a right to privacy of how they want to deal with things on their own land in their own homes and other people don't need to know about it. I can't tell you somebody else's business. It's not mine to tell. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not the person to ask. I'm singularity. I am not everybody and I don't speak for everybody. And I know there's a lot of people that, that very likely don't agree with a lot that I said, or maybe some of what I said, and that's fine. I'm not here to be right. But I am here to tell you only my side of the story. Well, but you must be I haven't talking. been chosen to represent people. I'm talking from a point of view of a person, a singular person who cares. But that very and night you were looking at videos of people escaping. You were looking at, you know, refugees. Mm-hmm. You were talking to neighbors and strangers and all that. What mm-hmm. is the, what is the gestalt yeah. of those conversations? Where are people's hearts in the immediate future and then the longer term future? Don't they want to know what the heck happened? You know, I think it, that if we want real solid answers, we need to ask the people who can provide those. And we need to have a platform where those people are safe to provide those answers. There's no one person that should ever speak for any one group. It doesn't work. Let's create a platform where people can come together and ask these questions and have them met with solid evidence that's uncensored, being manned by gun assistance to try and shut them down. Let's create a platform where people can come to the table and ask these questions and have them addressed and also begin to formulate things that are effective and that work. Well, then the obvious question is, huh? who, the obvious question would be, who would create that platform who would run it? Who would organize it? Who would fund it? Who would be involved in, in you know, reciting their eyewitness testimony? In other words, it seems to me that this has to go to a legal process as soon as possible. So there is why – why are you laughing? Because we're not asking for permission. We have a right to create a platform to come together as a human race, and I'm as many individuals, who is, and talk. We it, don't, we is don't, anybody who? doing it that you're in, aware of, or is it just kind of like an idea? It's a proposal is what it is. Okay. It's, there's things that are going to be needed. I don't have all the technology. I know the technology exists. It's going to have to be a group effort. Individuals that step forward and go like, hey, you know what? I I, I know how to write code. I can create something. I know how to um, make sure that you're not, you know, on, you're not like regulated by, you know, AI programs and Google and all these other, you know, bullshit problematic platforms. I know how to host this on a technology that nobody's allowed to have because 
it's effective and it's secure and it's run by the people who contribute to it. Let people regulate this and have it be theirs. They don't need somebody to govern it. People can self-govern themselves. You're talking about Maui. You got somebody that gets out of line. Somebody steps out and goes, hey, that's our neighbor's kid. Go smack him in the head. Set him straight. Problem solved. Now let's get back to business. Now, people can self-regulate but the military seems to be impeding any of these activities. They're not even letting you stop by the side of the road to see what's going on. I'd like to read an, uh, a headline to you and ask you if you think it's true. This is from the New York Times. And it uh, came out and said, uh, the number of people missing from Maui has dropped to 66 from 385, a relief to officials who feared that hundreds would never be accounted for. What do you think is, is the real loss? Do you have any idea? Do people... Have people found their relatives? Have the children shown up? Or what's what's really going on there? Well, first of all, people aren't missing. They haven't left the island. You know? They're no longer on the planet, unfortunately. But they're not missing. Oh, okay. This is like know where they where they are. And the numbers if you want to know the numbers, well, okay, let's try this. The okay, U.S. census, all those Bob. houses, they know who all's in those houses and how many people live there. All they got to do is look at that. Contact the people on the list who have checked into these um, you know, different places, and they have your name because you can't get any help if they don't have your name. And ask them, how many people from your household are missing? You know? Make use of something that was otherwise, like, really kind of ridiculous. Make good use of the census instead of using it to tax people. This is use it to account this, this these is, people this, and know solid numbers. It, it, is, it, is, it has been a month, literally, you know, and a few hours. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. an incredibly sophisticated, high-tech civilization with software, with smartphones, with census data – they still don't know who's a living and who's dead? That's nuts. <laughs> right. I agree. Because, right. because the real numbers yeah. are probably in the thousands. Thousands. Who's holding the list? Uh-huh. The governor? Well, that's what we have to find uh, out. How about that? Right. The U.S. Census. They have all that information. Yeah. They know how many people are oh, there. They're comparing, there. Shit. comparing it to this US, the last U.S. Census. Which was just a few months ago, technically. It's like it's up there. And again, let's just let's just here we go. How about this, gentlemen? How about if we just annihilate the whole problem of having to deal with any more organizations that we don't that aren't upfront and helpful? How about if we find somebody who has access privately and isn't it like got some crazy ideas that want to create an agenda who can have who access to a ground penetrating radar? Fly over the island of Maui. Take a look into the ground. Let's take a look there. Let's start there. What would they that? be looking for? Let's see what we find. What are we looking for? What are we talking about? Missing people. Yeah, but you're not going to see bodies yeah? on, on, on ground penetrating radar if they have been incinerated. What are, they're, okay. They're, they're literally oh, great. ashes. But how is that possible? Let's, let's look at what is possible. How is it that only some bodies didn't get absolutely decimated but they were at the same time right in the same exact location was it their diet was it their luck were they wearing like what suits of armor i don't think so no 
You know, one of the strangest things that I've heard is that houses and cars and objects that were blue did not incinerate. Have you heard about that, Richard? No. Yeah, that's yeah. that's. A, a big I've, been, I've been kind of preoccupied with India, the moon, and all that, and. Uh, yeah. So I let other people who are much closer to the ground, like Singularity, you know, take the lead on this. And you've done some excellent shows. I want to raise the the, the conversation. Oh, wait, 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 wait. There is something to say about the blue because I have seen uh, videos of of there were probably lasers, but it's passing over these different materials, and it incinerated everything except what was blue. What was blue, it didn't touch it at all. And when you look at the Lahaina fire, you see things all wiped out, just ashes except there stands a blue car, nothing. There's a blue umbrella, nothing. A blue roof, nothing. So there's something about... Well, that's very important to know, but again, having real video data as opposed to a speculation is what I want to ground this in. Well, let there me, is. I'll send you some. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Let me, let me make two points here that are very important for the larger discussion. Uh, item, my item number five. Back in 2011, the observatories, which are all over the Big Island, Mauna Kea, run by the federal government very loosely in, in what's called the uh, uh, national, let me get the actual name here, here which is important. It is the, um, um, it's, I'll get the, get the acronym here in a minute. Okay. I, I know uh, uh, Singularity doesn't like acronyms, but um, there is a national federal. I, I do, but, but only my own. I'm kind of partial to my own acronym. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway, on, the sorry. point is that the uh, Mauna Kea is the islands of volcano, you know, extinct maybe or not. Mm-hmm. On it have been built because of the altitude and the weather and the climate and the seeing, you know, major telescopes from all over the planet that are coordinated by the U.S. federal government. 2011 in June, as seen by the webcam from one of those major observatories, um, I believe it was the uh, Canada-France-Hawaii telescope, which is located right there on the summit of Mauna Kea. There was a very bizarre video, which is in my uh, number uh, five item. And if you look down at item number seven, this is a still frame, a frame grab, which when you click on it, will get full screen, showing this incredible expanding bubble sliding over downtown Honolulu at orbital speeds, expanding and then dissipating into space in the space of a few seconds, looking like some gargantuan explosion in space, in orbit, right above 19.5 Hawaii. And there were efforts to, there were efforts to explain it away. Hang on, hang on. There were efforts to, there were efforts to explain it away as a Minuteman missile launch from California. The problem is that those launches don't result in huge detonations that are obviously moving at orbital altitudes and speeds because the target zone is far west of Hawaii. They don't get banged up flying over Hawaii. That's the first weirdness that I found in just cursory looking 
there was something so bizarre that at the time I said, this looks like some kind of unannounced space war with some enemy in space. So now we fast forward the film to uh, August 1st, uh, seven days before these events, just one week. And two of the major telescopes, one located on the Big Island called Gemini North, and the other one, which is a twin located at a place called Sierra Tololo, uh, which is thousands of miles south in the mountains of, of, of Chile, were hacked by some outside negative digital uh, invasion. And the feds, yeah. the feds reacted so quickly, they shut down both telescopes so they could prevent damage by outside computer control. But my question was, what did those telescopes see, like back in 2011, that someone tried to reach into their archives, their files, and expunge, extract, eliminate, you know, destroy, erase, that somebody beyond the islands did not want taken notice of just seven days before literally all hell broke loose on Maui. And that's the and that's the basis. Hang on, let me sum up here. That's the basis Mm -hmm. for my claiming that it's not off the wall to think this was a directed attack. The response by the feds in the aftermath is all like around a war zone. And even the day after Lahaina, when the president of the United States, known for his empathy, his sharing of grief because of his own family you know, situation with, with people who have undergone disasters. He had no public comment for almost a week, which makes me think. Let's go, Braden. Which makes me think that something so off the wall indeed has occurred that even the normal knee-jerk response could not be brought to the fore because of the severity and magnitude of what's really going on which is we're involved in some kind of clandestine war with someone upstairs that nobody wants to talk about tonight. Well, I agree, and I would like to point out that Hawaii is the most important military district of the United States in the Pacific. And if Hawaii is blinded, the next defense is San Francisco. And that's been that way since World War II. And if Hawaii is incapacitated, if the Hawaii, as I said, is blinded militarily, San Francisco on the coast of California is, is the next perimeter. So I think that we have to look at this really seriously, and uh, I don't want to upset uh, singularity, but these things are realities, and we can't trust the well, United States government. We just can't. There's things, Go ahead, Singularity. I just want to say, I, I pulled from Richard what you were saying about the hackers and the and the telescopes and all that stuff and all the details you shared. What stood out to me was that there are people who can keep themselves under the radar and infiltrate systems to take down things that are supposed to be the most secure. Those are the people that we need to talk to to uh, set up this platform that may or may not you know, be creative. Those are the people that are creative. They're not hurting anybody. They're they're infiltrating a a, a technology 
to show these guys. Well, wait, wait, wait. You don't know do nobody. Like that, that you can. Um, they didn't hurt anybody. Nobody died. Singularity. Hang on, hang on. Infiltrated a Singularity. Hang on a second. If, yeah. if yeah. someone not authorized got into the computer systems of these observatories, which physically saw and recorded and broadcast around the world something incredibly anomalous in the skies over the Pacific, you have no idea who the hackers were. My assumption is... Right. My That's assu- a beautiful thing. Ha- hang on, hang on. everybody's information is hacked all the time by the government. Except it doesn't... I mean, like, nobody... I think you're comparing uh-huh. apples to oranges. Because to me, it seemed this was a preemptive strike against the non-controlled cameras that would have reported something bizarre going on over the Hawaiian Islands if they had not been attacked and then shut down. So I see this as a preemptive effort to keep information from flowing, not someone trying to get information so it flows. And again, it's either or. We do not know. We don't have specific you know, well, what, information. What, what if it could possibly be the actual people of Hawaii who said, no, we don't want that shit on our land, and they put it there anyways, and they're like, all right, we're going to handle it. What about that? That could be a possibility. Then why haven't they published the data that they purloined? Why? Because they don't want to present the people of Hawaii as powerful, skillful, able people that can handle their own crap. Well, we're well That's into why. speculation at this point, okay? I we, think it's a good speculation because it's not speculation. I saw communities right here. All right. Why, 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 why did, better coming together why did, a why did, than not. When, when Gemini North was attacked electronically on the first, remember, just, you know, seven days in front of this disaster, why did the, why did the organization of the two telescopes close down the one in Chile, which only shares one commonality with the North Observatory in Hawaii? It looks out over the Pacific Ocean with unfettered access to space and beyond visible from simultaneously both locations. If someone wanted to keep us from knowing we are being attacked from out there, then the one thing you do is you blind the people to the sensors that would let you know so it never becomes part of the discussion. And the feds have said nothing for the last month over what happened with the hacking. The observatories are still offline. People cannot run their observations, their programs, which is a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, you know, done telemarketing-wise all over the planet. You don't have to be in Hawaii to run these programs anymore, but it's all been shut down over what? Just a simple hack? No. This has part of the larger context. It seems to me it's part of this deepening, developing mystery. Who attacked Lahaina? I'd like to ask you. Okay, well, here's the thing. You know, you know what? I just want to say, you know what's so blinding, but the most rapidly blinding thing is a bunch of information that nobody really knows what to do with. And, and that's overwhelming because we don't know. We don't have enough information. We don't have time to get the information. There's a problem. Yeah, we don't know what to do about it. All that, all that being presented to people is blinding. They shut their eyes oh. to it. They don't want to deal with a technology we don't know, an entity that has power enough or, or intelligence enough to develop such a thing. We don't, we don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do with that. That's all disempowering. 
We can only do something yeah, about sing, what we know singularity. About. And we don't need to know Sing, these Yes, things. we do need to know. We don't need to. I am absolutely, we adamantly do? opposed. Why yes, don't we, we do. We start with our own land. What do we start with our own planet? What's going on if here? Being attacked here by, if, space. if you're being attacked by a bunch of runaway Nazis in outer space, you need to know that. Exactly. Otherwise, you're powerless. And I don't mean to, and I don't mean to upset people and spread fear porn, but there's enough solid data, including the response, the non-response of the White House to what should have been an easy rolling off the log. Biden says, "I'm so sorry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." None of that happened. So it's sometimes like the Sherlock Holmes thing, the dog that didn't bark. If we are in a real end of time space war against. Guys out there that do not want us to evolve where we're almost ready to evolve with public hearings on UFOs, NASA, uh, you know, adopting the idea there are ruins on other planets in the solar system. If someone is trying to keep that breakthrough from occurring by threatening to hold citizens hostage to a technology they're not even aware exists, we need to put that on the public record. I'd like to uh, right. and singularity. We need to have the industry in address all of that. each other. We're getting, we're getting, I'm sorry, we're getting worked up over speculation. No, we're not. I just showed you evidence of something bizarre happening twice in the same place at 19.5. It's not speculation. What's behind it is the speculation. That's what we need to press on to find out who the enemy is. Because I, I, I assume you agree that there is an enemy, and these people were deliberately killed. Deliberately. I want to ask Singularity if she was in Hawaii a couple of years ago when an alert went out in the, in the emergency uh, system saying that Hawaii was under nuclear attack and that, uh, in fact, something was shot out of the air. It exploded over a boat, of, a boat full of tourists, and it was recorded uh, by the astronomical observatory that has cameras pointed out in the in the general direction of the ocean. Were you there when that happened, and did you hear anything else after that? No, that was prior to my moving here. Oh, no. well, I and, thought that um, was significant and indicative indicative that Hawaii is a target for some inimical force. So there is some substance to what Richard and I are saying. And, I, you know, I know that you are in a, a recovery period, and I don't want to burden you uh, with these things, but the reality is it, <laughs> does, it does appear that the land grab and uh, Governor Green, of all names, Governor Green passed emergency uh uh, mandates, regulations, uh, a week before this happened, uh, giving himself the power to take over the land, according to his interpretation. But of course, you're going to stand strong. But all of these things are realities. And FEMA was meeting on Oahu at the very moment uh, that, that this catastrophe happened. And the emergency management agency uh, director was there. The governor wasn't around. The, the fire chief was in Colorado. I think we think all of these things sum up to a very, very strange. But unless there is some organized effort on the part of the citizens to find out what happened, 
who should be held responsible, who should be elected out of office, who should be put in prison. In other words, someone held accountable. This could happen again tomorrow. Right. So I think first and foremost, it's finding people that we don't we don't need to we don't need to know who what what fill those positions ultimately with people of the community that are able. That way we don't have to like, well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We'll do this, the, the, you know, looking into it and figuring out after those positions are filled. Okay, I've got after, literally... I wanna, I wanna, the ones I that just want to add one thing here. Remove I want to add one thing power. underlining what Robert was saying about the uh, importance strategically of the military that we have there. I have a friend who has mm-hmm. very high military clearance. And the first thing that came to his mm-hmm. mind is he said, Wow, this this could be like another Pearl Harbor. Why aren't they talking about the, str- the strategic locations of our bases there that are, you know, so important? And I think Robert, you were touching on that, and uh, so that's something to to you know that he that was like his first thing out of his mind was like, oh my gosh, I don't understand why they're not marshalling all the military there. This is not. This is not normal, and this is very dangerous. But they have done that. Okay, guys, re- guys, we literally have one minute. Let me make an important announcement. Okay. We are two days away from 9-11, all right? Uh, Barbara Honiger, who is chairman now of uh, the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, is holding a major event tomorrow. It's connected in my item number nine, and all you have to do is click on that. That will take you to where you can get it on the web it's going to be all day tomorrow. That's why she couldn't be part of tonight's program. And I will save other things I was going to do tonight for next week. I want to thank my guests, um, Singularity, uh, Robert Morningstar, Kinthea, and our audience for paying very close attention. Uh, I really think that we need to, uh, shall we say, buckle uh, down and continue to press both locally and nationally and internationally for what is uh, uh, going to happen next, because frankly, there needs to be action based on what has taken place that is so tragic and might be with enough information preventable. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. I want to wish everyone a good night. We'll see you tomorrow. And remember, Third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.